Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Circle Strafe. I'm Garrett. And I'm Austin. Circle Strafe is a game club podcast playing and reviewing video games new and old. If you'd like to play along with us, participate in the discourse, or just have a chat, we'd encourage you to join our Discord server linked in the description. We would also be grateful for any feedback you may have, whether that be in the form of a rating, review, or a Discord message. Now, before we get into this episode, we should probably address our extended hiatus and just sort of give the listeners an explanation of why it's been so long since we've posted anything. Yeah, so both of us had various things that occurred in our life that left us pretty much unable to do any type of like long-form recording, especially not the task of actually playing the games. We had several changes in our lives. I, I don't know uh, fully about Garrett, but, you know, I lost my job and uh, had a death in the family as well. So that's where I've basically been preoccupied for the past three months. Yeah, my condolences to you on your loss, Austin. I know that's... You guys have been through a lot lately with losing the job and everything, and... Um, it, was, it wasn't a fun thing to end the year on, yeah. No, obviously, you know, this podcast is a hobby for us. It's not a job. We don't make any money doing this. So we pushed this aside in order to take care of the things that we needed to take care of in yep. our families and... I will say really quick that the death in the family was my grandfather, who is the pretty much entire reason that I fell in love with computers, because he owned a computer shop for like 20 or 30 years, and he is kind of what started my love of them. So I think that it would be nice to dedicate this to him. In loving memory of Austin's grandfather. Yeah, I, I would, I'm not going to give the full name because I don't want to dox myself or my family. <laughs> right. Uh, so, do you have anything good you want to talk about that happened in the last four months since we've been away? No. No? Okay. <laughs> no. Yeah, you're going to be like, oh, all this bad shit <gasps> happened, and I'm like, oh, yeah, well, uh, I 100% Starfield, and I went to Disney World. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I am happy for you guys. Um, That Disney World trip will come into play here in this episode, or... You'll, oh, you'll... yep, yep. <laughs> All right, so... I, I know you have a youngin' and they're uh, kind of the perfect age for Disney World, because I went on a trip to Disney World when I was pretty close to that age, and it was, like, one of my best memories. <laughs> yeah, she she is definitely in taken by the magic. Um, I was not so much, but <laughs> alas, I missed the boat. Uh, oh, okay, well. so, Austin, what game did you choose for us this episode? Uh, I chose Star Wars Shadows of the Empire. And that is, well, if you look it up, it says it's a third-person shooter, but really it's a lot more than that, huh? Yeah, it's got, I would say, three different major gameplay sections that have different kind of controls. Okay, what are those? Uh, it's got the third-person shooter kind of adventure mode. It's not an open-world game. It's very, it has levels that are very linear, um, and in it you use a blaster. So that's the third-person section. It's got one level where you're on a speeder bike, which I will talk about in depth then. That would be the kart racing level. Yep, the kart racing level. Rest in peace to Bloodborne Kart. And then the final one is the... Uh, aerial sections both in atmosphere and in space yeah and that's sort of split into two it has the first level of the game is actually like a flight sim where you have full control of the aircraft and then there are also two on rails sections where you're just shooting the turret 
kind of in the vein of like a new hope the millennium falcon scene yeah several different things and i think uh in the past that's what drew me to the game initially was being able to do the different things that the star wars universe offered yeah they definitely covered a lot of bases so this game came out on december 3rd 1996 on the nintendo 64 in north america and then uh, there was a Windows PC port and rest of world releases in the following year. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and mention this since we're talking about ports. I was a bit upset I could not get the port working because from what I've heard, it actually has like full voice acting. Yeah, so it came out on Windows back in, that would be 97. But then in 2016, it was port ported to 64-bit Windows. So it was supposed to work, but uh, I couldn't get it working either. This, for me personally, this was the hardest game to get working for the show so far. Yeah, me too. Um, Nintendo 64, that era of games, was one of the last where you saw a really huge disparity in between the formats because it was like the last cartridge-based system excluding handhelds. And now, you know, with flash memory and stuff like the Nintendo Switch, it's there's not that big of a disparity, but at that time... Um, for those cartridges, it was a big difference between what you could fit on that cartridge versus what you could fit on a CD-ROM for like a PlayStation 1 or a, a PC. Yeah, which was uh, a major point of contention in the past with Nintendo and Sony, which is, I don't know if, if you know about the failed Nintendo 64 disk drive, for example. It only got like six games that launched for it, but the Nintendo 64 was actually in an interesting spot because the generation that it is in probably had some of the biggest jumps in you know graphics from before it and after it too because like look at the difference between the nintendo 64 and the super nintendo and then the nintendo 64 and the gamecube it's like miles yeah think about this game december 3rd 1996 is when it released this was supposed to be a release title for the nintendo 64 but they couldn't get it out in time um that was three years after doom 1993 so just to put that into perspective, we went from Doom 2D sprites like faux 3D kind of thing to this, which is actually a full 3D adventure shooter game. Yeah, it's, it is very impressive for the time period especially. Which so, is something that we're going to have to keep in mind, I guess. No, and maybe yeah, give this yeah. game a little grace moving forward. As much as I can. As much as you can. So this brings us to the part of the show that we call the series discussion. This game is part of the Star Wars universe as a whole, which has changed a lot since this game came out in m many different ways. Yeah, and unlike all the other series that we have discussed up to this point, this one has such a history behind it that it's hard for us to put in an episode like this, especially when um, I don't know that any of the other games that we have discussed have a weird canon split like what you're alluding to. Yeah, up until now, this is the only real multimedia franchise game that we've covered. We've covered games that came out first as games and then had other media made about it, like Sonic Adventure, you know, there's Sonic comics and there was a cartoon and stuff. And then, obviously, Legend of Zelda, you've got Wand of Gamelon and, and such. 
but Star Wars was a film first, and then it became three films and novels and comics and video games, and it just exploded. exploded, Yeah, into a like true multimedia titan. Like in a way, Star Wars is the IP. If you think if you think about as a game developer, if you want to get an IP, if you get Spider Man, well, you have to make Spider Man. If you get Batman, well, you have to make a Batman game. If you get Star Wars, you can make whatever you want, and people have. I mean, they have everything from kart racers to pod racing to flight sims to sword fighting games. I mean, you and almost all of them feel extremely fitting for the series because the series has such broad genres that it touches on. It does, and at the same time, it has such a distinct identity in the design language and the lore surrounding it that it's instantly identifiable as Star Wars, even if it's not good. (laughs) Yeah, even if it's not good. So this game came out in 1996, uh, which was three years before Episode One, uh, The Phantom Menace, and it was right alongside when they were re-releasing the special editions of the original trilogy of Star Wars, where they went through and added in all the wacky 3D um, effects and stuff. Yes, um, this was not when McClunky was added, though, right? <laughs> I don't know about that. No, McClunky was added like four years ago. I don't yeah. still don't know. But yeah, uh, that was the Blu-ray. That was when they put Hayden yeah. Christensen in as Vader. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say one thing, though, is that talking about the time period this is in, since we're limiting our discussion of the greater expanded universe, it's some, one thing that I should say is that it's weird how big of a push Shadows of the Empire was. Did, did you, like, look into that? Yeah, so first, for for the readers who don't know, let's just explain what the expanded universe is. Yes. The expanded universe is any Star Wars media that is not one of the mainline films. So at the time this came out, you had episode four, five, and six, A New Hope, The Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi, respectively. And everything else, all the comics, all the books, all the games, were considered canonical. They were things that quote-unquote actually happened within the Star Wars universe, except for, I'm sure there were some things that were kicked out as apocryphal. But this was a big deal. Like you said, this was a big multimedia push and yeah i did read a little bit about it uh shadows of the empire as kind of a brand almost released in almost every avenue of entertainment besides film there were tie-in novels comics trading cards a soundtrack a toy line and then of course the video game in question yeah for better or worse i feel like in some ways that was a bit of a mistake retrospectively but we'll get into why um it could have been really good. I think that could have been pulled off well, but the downside is that the story could possibly be fractionated in such a way that you have to consume all the pieces of media to really understand what's going on, which, from a sales perspective, that could be what LucasArts would have wanted you to do so that they can get more money out of you. But from a consumer perspective... If I don't read novels and I don't read comic books, I only play video games and watch TV or movies, then you're, the only piece of you're media... You're going to have a less experience. Yeah, the only piece of media I can consume is this game, and then I don't understand what's going on. 
See, and I, I guess the push wasn't quite good enough, because until we started recording for this episode, or not recording, uh, you know, researching this episode and actually playing the games, I had no idea those other things existed. I thought this game basically released in a vacuum. Yeah, me too. But then, you know, I look up Shadows of the Empire, and it's like, did you mean the game or the big multimedia release? And I was just like, the hell? <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, um, just a few more notes about the Expanded Universe. If you're not a Star Wars fan or never got into it, you might be surprised at just how much of it that there is, or was. It covered, like, all the way from the distant past, which was the Dawn of the Jedi area, which is like 25,000 years in the past from the perspective of the original trilogy. And it goes into the future, but not quite as far. Um, the post-Return of the Jedi uh, was, uh, it went all the way to, like, the Legacy era, is what they called that. And, um... I think the reason that it didn't go as far into the future, it was like a couple hundred years, was because all of that media seemed to focus on the descendants of the main characters after the main, like, obviously it focused on Luke, what happened to Luke and Leia and Han after the movies, but then when those people inevitably passed on, they were focusing on people named Solo and Skywalker. And so, you know, they're not necessarily going 25,000 years in the future to talk about the you know, great, great, great times 500 grandson of Luke Skywalker or whatever. Yeah, they wanted it, or it sells better if it's connected to the OG characters in some way. Yeah, exactly. Well, the expanded universe doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, it was axed with Disney's acquisition of Star Wars. They did rename it to Legends. Legends. <laughs> um, the stories and all of the media from the expanded universe pre-Disney is still being printed. Um, a lot of the novels are getting reprints and audiobooks and stuff, but they are being renamed to Legends. Um, and, you know, some of the characters and locations have been brought back into canon, but have been significantly changed or more likely than not. Uh, just name-dropped so that it's like, hey, did you like Darth Revan? Well, guess what? In this one episode of Clone Wars, someone mentioned the name Darth Revan. And so now, guess what? He's real again. Yeah, yeah here's your... it's, a, it's literally just throwing a bone to YouTube reactors for half the way that they, uh, you know, name-drop these characters. But I think the most important thing to mention about the Expanded Universe slash Legends is upon Disney's acquisition of Star Wars, just how much content was lost. To, or to canonicity. You can still, you know, read it, but it's stuff that if you were following and you were a Star Wars fan through, you know, the 70s, 80s, and 90s, you'd feel that loss because there were well over 100 novels. Well over, not, not even mentioning all of the games and all of the comics. I mean, some of my favorite games of all time yeah. were Star Wars Expanded Universe games. Well, both Garrett and I... I think would consider Knights of the Old Republic like in our probably top 10 games. It's so good. And and that one is just, you know, it that one is the one that hurt the most to get kicked out. Yeah, and a lot of people felt that way, which is why they name-dropped Revan in some Disney something or another. Um, now, the next question I have on here, I think we're going to wait to talk about. It's, was the Expanded Universe good? But that is a rabbit hole that I don't think we have the time to really throw ourselves down in this episode uh, yeah that would be an entire episode of its own which is why it's going to be 
we're introducing a new show called Circle Strafe Bonus Level. It will help us separate non-gaming content into its own place, as well as allow us to present content that doesn't require extensive notes and an outline, like our normal episodes. Yeah, so that's going to help us give our listeners content during times where we might be too busy to play games and take notes, like the last four months of our lives, and hopefully avoid another hiatus like that, like the one we're returning from now. Yeah, so the first episode is going to be a pretty broad discussion of the Star Wars franchise, with I would like to have a particular focus on the expanded universe, as well as our relationship with Star Wars. Um, although we're also planning an episode where we talk about ourselves and our backgrounds as gamers and people, just to help the listeners get to know us a little better, and uh, contextualize some of our thoughts and opinions on this show. Yeah, that's something we've talked about doing from the start. We just weren't sure how to present that or where to fit it in. So so let me just clarify that this Circle Strafe bonus level episodes you'll be seeing, they're not going to be numbered, so they won't be affecting the numbering of Circle Strafe, but they will be in between episodes. So you can think of them as sort of like an after show or a pre-show. So uh, you'll get... Circle Strafe, Episode 8, Shadow of the Empire, which is this one you're listening to now. And then the next episode is going to be Circle Strafe bonus level, Star Wars. And then after that, you're going to get Circle Strafe, Episode 9. And these bonus episodes will not necessarily all be dependent on a series that we discussed in a, you know, an actual episode like this. It could be pretty broad hobbies that we're both interested in. Yeah, it could even be talking about... Um, just video game news if something big happens that we want to talk about we might post that as a bonus level and it's not going to be like a super consistent thing you know obviously we have tried but been unable to keep circle strafe consistent um, but we're not even going to try with circle strafe bonus level that's just going to appear uh, when we have need of a circle strafe bonus level episode yeah, so if anyone has any ideas or things they'd be interested in hearing us discuss on there, since this one requires less rehearsal and I don't have to play, you know, a game that could take me 20 hours or more, uh, leave it in the Discord. Yeah, if we could even fit in a uh, Q&A section, that would be helpful. Yep, or maybe even for the bonus levels, bring on uh, some of the friends or editors and some of the listeners that who uh, we know. Yeah, guests would be great. So, moving forward... How would you summarize your previous relationship with Shadows of the Empire? It was an early favorite video game of mine. So it was also one of the first Star Wars games I played alongside Star Wars Jedi Power Battles on PS1, which I nearly chose for this. Uh, unlike The reason I chose it, though, is unlike many of the games from my childhood, I never replayed this one again. So funny that you mentioned Jedi Power Battles. That was... I distinctively remember... I remember getting the game. I I can visualize standing there in Walmart getting Star Wars Jedi Power Battles for the Sega Dreamcast. That was the first T-rated game I was ever allowed to to own. Oh wow. <laughs> so Jedi Power Battles is pretty important historically for me. Also, you've tried to get me to play this game, Shadows of the Empire before. I'm you... pretty sure I dropped a Nintendo 64 in like 10 games on or at your house. Yeah, it's still there. A fun story about me and Nintendo 64 is for the listeners. I don't think I've mentioned this before yet, but in the past, when I was going through all of my medical problems, as we've mentioned before, I've 
uh, I've had them, my grandparents would have to keep me a lot. And I was obsessed with the Nintendo 64 to such a degree that every grandparent bought a Nintendo 64 for their house so I didn't keep having to pack it up. And then, because I spent so much time on the road going to doctor's appointments as a kid, the van that my mom drew, uh, drove had a Nintendo 64 and miniature TV in it. So what ended up happening is now I had five, like five different Nintendo 64 consoles. So I just started giving them to friends. That's great. I'm, I'm so fortunate. It's the ice blue one. It's beautiful. It is. I had the ice blue one. I had the see-through green one. I had the purple one. I got the black one. And, of course, the Hey You Pikachu special edition. That is a flex. Yeah. Side note, not contingent on anything in this episode. Dude, I totally miss when the 90s and early 2000s see-through, like, colored um, technology. I loved that shit. So... Actually, the next section I'm going to mention, that's actually coming back big time in the retro handheld scene. Pretty much any retro handheld you look at out there, like the Retroid Pocket 4 just got announced, you can get like at least the, um, the what is it, Atomic Purple. Uh, sometimes you'll get the Ice Blue, but they are making those in see-through. I loved that. Like, I yeah. would just, you know, I'd see the different colors, and I probably had, like, 10 or 15 Nintendo 64 controllers because I, I I treated those things like people treat Amiibos. <laughs> I have an Amiibo inside my computer case right now. Nice. So why did you choose this game? Uh, well, To finally make me play it? <laughs> no, I actually had forgot I even gave it to you until you brought it up when I sent my list of games when we were discussing making the show. Uh, for the listeners, we actually planned, you know, all the games in advance, but we did not keep like a hard limit. Like if one of us changed our mind, we could. But uh, this was almost a year ago planned now. Yep. And you were like, oh, I own that because of you. And I was I was like, oh, man. Yeah. But the reason I chose it was really just to try one of the early Star Wars video games that was not connected to the or, OK. It was connected to the original trilogy. But it was not directly following the the original trilogy's plot. It was a side story, fundamentally. I wanted to see that because as far as I know, I don't think there was any major games before it that were trying to tell unique stories, air quote story. They were more just uh, retellings of the original trilogy, like, you know, oh, Return of the Jedi, the game. Super Star Wars and all that. Yeah. So it was also a way to revisit a game from my childhood that I had fond memories of. But to my knowledge, I never beat, which I see why now, and uh, I never replayed it either. Yeah, so this was 96. So Star Wars was pretty much dead after Return of the Jedi. There's not a lot going on with that franchise, but... Uh, There's about 100 novels. Yeah, but, you know, fairly niche. Um, Timothy Zahn, in 1991, 92, and 93, released a trilogy called... The Thrawn Trilogy, uh, also known as the Heir to the Empire Trilogy, that introduced uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn, and he's now been brought back into Disney canon, but at the time, those were the original, like, what was supposed to be episodes 7, 8, and 9, and they absolutely exploded in popularity. It, it really sort of blew Star Wars back up and got it into the zeitgeist, and I guess, no, I think they were, um, let's see. I actually think I have those novels right over here. Yeah, they're fantastic. I've read them and listened to them in audiobook, too. Uh, I think they were New York Times bestsellers, weren't they? I believe so, yeah. The Thrawn trilogy is one of the few Star Wars 
uh, novels that you could reasonably expect an average Star Wars fan to know. Now, see, there's some deep cuts in the lore who you could ask someone like me or you, like Darth Crate and stuff, and we'd know. But, you know, the majority of the novel characters are completely unknown to an average watcher who, like, watched the original trilogy 30 years ago. Yeah, so point is, the 90s, the early 90s is when you really started seeing a major interest in the expanded universe. So, and then with the Nintendo 64, you actually got a good medium for telling a story, potentially. In theory. In theory. So, how'd you play this game, Austin? Oh boy. So, I tried to play it on Steam and I failed repeatedly. Uh, I bought the good old games copy, thinking it should work. Normally, they're better than Steam about having old video games work. That's the, it's in the name? Yep, uh, it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, looking around, it was problems with, uh, 4070s, specifically, which is what I'm using. Oh, wow. Uh, um, so, it took a lot of work. The moment the game started on either platform, it was like it was in permanent fast-forward mode, which I learned had to be addressed by going into the NVIDIA control panel and limiting the FPS. PS, which didn't work either. So, against... I, I tried everything. I ended up just emulating it. At this point, I've bought the game five times, or like four times. Wow. So you emulated it, what did, what, you emulated the Nintendo 64 version, I'm assuming? Yeah, I, I did the Nintendo 64 1.1 version. And you emulated that on your PC? Yep. And I played with a Xbox One controller. I played this in three different ways, actually. Oh, God. Call me a glutton for punishment. I started playing this game, tried to, on PC with the Steam copy, and had the same experience as you. Couldn't get it to work. I actually used two different computers, though. I used a laptop with a 3060 mobile chip in it, and I used my desktop, which has a AMD 6700 XT graphics card, so go figure. What I ended up settling on was the Steam Deck. I played through most of the game. I played through the first eight levels on that. And I got fed up because I was having some speed issues that were just not nearly as bad as what you were having, but it was like some random speed ups here and there for a few seconds. It was annoying. I ended up getting an Anbernic RG505. Do you know what that is? I don't. It's a mobile, like a phone chipset inside a, um, like a little handheld. It's got a PS Vita OLED screen and it's got ABX and Y buttons. And it's got um, uh, triggers and bumpers, two analog sticks, and a D-pad. So pretty oh, much wow. like it. Yeah, it's like um, it uses like Switch Joy-Con analog sticks. And it can emulate up through Nintendo 64. It can do all of PlayStation 1. It can even play a few GameCube games okay. Not that well, but like uh, turn-based stuff you could get away with. Like Fire Emblem. Yeah, like Fire Emblem you could get away with that. Uh, Paper Mario, you could get away with that. But uh, I, I had one of those, and I thought, okay, that's it. This is how I'm going to play this game. And I don't know if it was an emulator issue. I uh, It was a little choppy, but I was like, okay, I'm going to power through this. And I got to the second level, and I was just like, I cannot play this again. <laughs> I cannot do it. So today, yesterday, I got my Steam Deck back out, and I just played through the last two levels today. Yeah, so I actually had a similar thing, but for a different reason. Uh for people who, you know, are just tuning in, they're not aware of the hiatus, this episode is like three months late. There were three times during the uh, preparation for this series where like, hey, we're going to record next week and then some shit in our life happened. But 
I, you know, I beat it the first time. And then I, sometime in December, we were planning on recording. I think it was early December. And I was like, damn it, I don't remember very much. So I played through it again. And then I played through it again last night and this morning. You know what I did to record these notes, Austin? What? I watched a long play. I hate you. <laughs> I watched a long play, and then I played the last two levels this morning and wrote these I notes. I should have. Yeah. I should have. And just to put it into context, do you know how long that long play was? How long? It was less than three hours. Oh, my God. But playing through it felt like a lifetime, man. It really does, which might spoil some of our thoughts on this game, but we'll, let's, we'll save most of those for later. It's going to be impossible to avoid moving forward. Yeah. So graphics are next. You want to tell us about the graphics, Austin? Uh, okay, so it's really hard to review n- early Nintendo 64 graphics. Yeah, if you know what they are, just suffice to say, this game is typical of early Nintendo 64 graphics. So, this game blew me away in 96, when I was like, two. Um, <laughs> now, I, it, it's impressive for the time, it really is, but it's one of those things where games like this haven't aged as well as games, like, you know, with more cartoony art styles from that era. Like, Super Mario 64 looks better than this game. Super Mario 64 is... Still one of the best-looking Nintendo 64 games, not from a fidelity perspective, but from a design perspective, which is something that we've mentioned before more than once on the show. Yeah. So if we're talking, though, about the graphics, the, be- the starting place is, like, models and textures. And the Stormtroopers look like Stormtroopers. The ATSTs look like ATSTs. You know, you have everything there. I wouldn't say that there was anything that I wouldn't recognize as Star Wars. You know, yeah. I... You were able to correlate them to whatever their movie counterpart was fairly well. There are some things that look better. Uh, as per usual, anything that wears a helmet looks pretty okay, pretty good. Face textures on the Nintendo 64 are cursed, as always. <laughs> yeah, um, the the note I have, I'll just read read it to you. Polygonal mannequins smeared with a few dozen pixels of drab color. yeah. And I specifically mentioned that Mario 64 looks way better than this. It's speculating just that it's the color palette. Um, I think, you know, Star Wars... So we were Wars, on the same thoughts there. Yeah, we are. Star Wars, in general, as a film, etc., it's kind of drab in general, in a way that translates much better to film than at least this particular video game. Uh, yeah. If you think If you think about it, it's a lot of grays and blacks and whites and browns, which makes like the lightsaber ignition is like yeah stand out and i think that's probably an intentional design choice because it makes the jedis and the sith stand out on the screen more overall i think uh the vehicle models are are translate to this medium this early 3d graphics much better than than people because especially really quick the atsds and stuff the things that have um the really blocky designs, mm-hmm. they look really good. What do you think the best-looking model in this game is? It might be the ATST, not the yeah, ATAT. I don't know that I got mm-hmm. a good enough look at the ATST because you know you're flying at the moment. Yeah. The A-wing, or not the A-wing, the um, snow speeder. The snow speeder, same general shape. The snow speeder looked pretty good too. For me, it's the star destroyer. Yeah, the star destroyer was pretty sick. It's a triangle with a rectangle on top, and then it has shield generators on top, but they're literally like dodecahedrons, so they're supposed to have that polygonal look to them. Yeah, it's it certainly fits it really, really well. But anything with curves, like a human face, for instance, nah. Yeah, not not exactly great. 
and the textures are... Extremely low res, and they repeat a lot, but I mean, if you think about this cartridge format for the Nintendo 64, the space is extremely limited, so there is at least a reason as to why it's like that. Yeah, it is really hard to review the graphics of some of these old games because we're so spoiled by modern games and their, you know, appearance that we look at this and we're just like, ew. But, you know, this was really, really impressive for the time. At the time, going from something like Star Wars Dark Forces to this, this would have possibly seemed like a major upgrade, though now looking back, I think I would still prefer Dark Forces... Yep, uh, that's uh, another one I nearly chose, because I knew I was going to have a Star Wars game slot. It was between Dark Forces, Power Battles, and uh, this. Yeah, I want to do Dark Forces. I also want to do X-Wing and or TIE Fighter. I want to do Knights of the Old Republic. Like, honestly, we could just have a whole season of just Star Wars games. I don't think I want a whole season, but I think I would like at least one Star Wars episode a season. Yeah, that, yeah. I mean, we could, but we, yeah. we definitely won't do that. So we'll we'll control ourselves and maybe <laughs> give give it a little bit of longevity, stretch it out. Because there's a lot of Star Wars games I would like to visit on this show. Yeah, me too. Uh, how was performance? I, I know it's been spotty for us, but like in the end, how was your experience? Once I got it working. It was pretty okay. I had some moments. Explosion slowed down things to like 15 FPS or like 10, 15 FPS. Like it was staggeringly mm. slow. Other than that, though, I didn't have any major performance hiccups outside of the inability to play for the first, you know, big chunk of it. But once it got going, I it was okay. So, like I mentioned, there were some times where I just felt like it was running too fast on the Steam Deck. I couldn't tell if it actually was or not. I mean, it said the frame rate was 60, and then it would jump up to 63, but I swear it was like a 20% increase, it felt like. And the level where I, I was feeling this the most was the kart racing speeder level, which is like the worst level for that to happen on. It's also uh, the worst level. <laughs> yeah, well, it's debatable. We'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> we're... There's other games where we'll argue over what the best level is. In this yeah. one, we're going to argue over what the worst level is. Yeah. PC performance was solid for me, but I just don't have a lot of time to sit in front of a PC and play. Like, I got to fight tooth and nail just to get a couple hours to sit here and record this show with you. So, you know, much less several sessions of sitting down, playing a game, and taking notes at the same time. Yeah. That's uh, one of the things that I've... For shorter games like this, I think uh, I will benefit from playing through it once and not taking notes and then kind of taking notes at the end and then playing through uh -huh. it again and expanding on them. Yeah. Because I feel like a lot of the game <laughs> is kind of missed if you're pausing constantly to take notes. Yeah, I think so too. I, I try to experience the game, but sometimes there are games that I don't want to experience. <laughs> yeah. Far Cry 2. Uh, that's the one I was thinking about. <laughs> Spoiler alert for our Far Cry episode. Yeah, if you want to hear us just be miserable for two and a half hours, go check that one out. Probably go watch it, yeah. That's probably one of our funniest episodes, because we were in genuine pain the entire episode. Yeah, I was trying to talk about how the guns were wrong, and I just couldn't get two words out of my mouth together. It was like, it was apoplexy, man. I was, I was losing my mind. Yeah. So the UI of this game, what'd you think of that? Minimalistic? Yeah, you know, it could have been worse. Could have been worse. If you think about the other games around this time, like some of those like dungeon crawlers, which is <laughs> like like two thirds of your screen is menu with like little frilly trees on the side, like like it's there's not much wasted space yeah. here. There's not. It's serviceable and clear. Yep. 
The one thing I do have an issue with is that there are no contextual commands, so you just have to sort of guess about what might be a button and how to interact with it, at least at first. Yeah, and you might have a real problem with some of these, because there are several important buttons that look almost identical to, like, general, like, just tech ambience on the wall, you know? Yeah. And you gotta hit those, or the door doesn't open. Yeah, there's one in the last uh, on foot level that I had some issues with finding. Yeah, we'll talk and that, about that when we get there. Once you know the model you're looking for or the texture, it becomes a little bit easier. But if you don't know, you're not going to find it easily. It's the Nintendo 64. You're not going to get something super fluid. They were going away from super busy, crazy, all the buttons you might ever need on the screen at one time, like the the old MMO kind of design, to this 3D console and just sort of trying to figure out what works. You know, now you have uh, an entirely contextual HUD, like Skyrim comes to mind, where your health bar isn't there unless you're losing health or whatever. Yeah. So this was an interesting Garrett, experimental time. Huh? Do I have to make another? Ding. <laughs> do, I, do I? Do we have to do it again? I didn't think it was going to happen here. It will. It will always happen. I played Skyrim probably more than any other game ever. Guy who's only played one video game, getting or getting real Skyrim vibes from this. Yeah, please, dude. I, like you're thinking about someone who plays League of Legends or Dota, oh, person God. who only plays one game. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> the art direction. Okay, the style. I mean, it's Star Wars. It's Star Wars. Anything that you can say about it is probably you know it's just about how you feel about Star Wars itself, and I guess if you think this is a good adaptation of it. I will say that of the named planets that we see in the trilogy that we go to, it does capture them really well. Like, you know, when you're on Hoth, that's Hoth. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the design of this game is just, it's already been done for them. All they have to do is adapt adapt a snowspeeder from a model, like a physical model that someone built with their hands, to a digital model that someone built on a computer. Yes, so a lot of the style we can't really talk about because we're not discussing what this game did. This is stuff that, you know, is legendary in the science fiction community and has been rightfully so for years that they were got, they got to use that. But there are some things that this game introduced that I think we could discuss out of the style, like most of Zizor's specific things, like his ships. So I looked up that name and i knew we were gonna have to talk about this eventually oh god did i admit did i already mispronounced it i actually found an audiobook not an official audiobook but it was something that they like went over and i think that xi is the chinese xi so i think that's she i think it's shizor that's a pokemon shizor oh yeah he evolves from uh it's actually Caesar, but it's that's that's close enough shizor googled it yeah she shizor his fleet, they're very sharp and angular. They kind of look like the droid starfighters from yep. the prequel trilogy. I going to say, I was wondering if that was, you know, a bit of an inspiration for the droids, because they're very pointed. Yeah, they do look very similar. Uh, one of the things that they designed for this game was the the ship that Dash Rindar, the protagonist, flies. They designed Dash Rindar, his 3D model. Oh. Okay, can I talk about Dash real quick? Yeah, talk about Dash. Okay, I just want to get this out of the way. Uh, Dash is meant to embody Han Solo. He is he is 
a knockoff within the same series of Han Solo. The Outrider is just the Millennium Falcon. It's the or like it's different, but it's the same uh, YT series. He's a yeah. hotshot smuggler, gunslinger, and pilot who had in the past been a part of the Imperial Naval Academy. Does so, this sound familiar? And you may ask the question, why not just have Han Solo in the game? Yeah, I, I, I kind of would. And the answer is because at the time that this takes place between The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, Han Solo is frozen in carbonite. And he is the MacGuffin yep. <laughs> that the uh, characters are chasing. Here's a fun little fact about Dash, though. There's a Disney canon novel that poked fun at him. Oh, really? I didn't know about that. Can you tell yeah, me? It, yeah, it's some solo novel. It's like Tales of Vander or something. But they included him as a joke based on his similarities with Han Solo. I don't know the exact context because I haven't read it, but it's just a little trivia that I found while looking this up. Editor's note. The book that Austin is referring to is Solo, a Star Wars story, Tales from Vandor. It's a simple book written for younglings. It's described as a replica journal. It contains a first-person account of many characters and locations from the film Solo, a Star Wars story, written from the perspective of a bartender on the planet Vandor. Of course, Dash Rendar is mentioned in the book and therefore brought back into Disney canon. However, the author of the book, Jason Fry, tweeted that, while he is glad if Dash Rendar's return to canon made you happy, his intent was actually to mock that character for being a Han clone. Not a clone in the literal sense, one must presume. Though I would find such a twist ironic. Here is the thing about Dash, though, while we're talking about character designs. Why is he wearing football pads? So his shoulder pads are hilarious. <laughs> they are hilarious. So I actually know why. Yeah, tell um, me. It was to make animators' lives easier, which I learned from an article that you sent me not too long ago. However, this is also a thing with 90s character designs, which you will see a lot if you followed uh, especially DC Comics in the... Uh, 90s because it was really big with action heroes and superheroes they loved shoulder pads belts and ammo clips it was on everyone why i don't know it was just like some big push that and mullets mm. did he have a mullet i, I don't think so but uh, uh he, he kind of yeah. had the uh he kind of had the scott stapp with arms wide open haircut yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so he he was very much a 90s product of star wars with those shoulder pads which fun thing that i learned when looking them up they canonized those shoulder pads as portable shield generators oh great <laughs> well well there you go now you know that's why he has big dumb shoulder pads they're they really dumb they literally look like they're from a a couch or something like like a cushion like it's got the little button in the upholstery you know it's so goofy yeah it's dash's character design and personality is really um <laughs> over overbearing yes overbear and, overwhelmingly goofy i don't know and i will say it's not like they cannot do a good video game character unconnected to the or you know without relying because we had Kyle Katarn and he's really good. I like Kyle. Yeah, Certainly they're kind of Kyle Katarn is another character who I had not a whole lot to actually. I don't know very much about him. I know who he is and I know what he's from, but I don't know much about him as a character. Uh, better than Dash Rendar. 
Yeah, cool. I mean, you know, we could experience it for the show, or I could just go yeah. do my homework. I I would not mind playing uh, Jedi Knight, Jedi Outcast. We just play the entire Cal Katarn, like trilogy he had. Yeah. Because you All like right. Dark Forces, right? You said you wanted to talk about it. Yeah, I had it for PlayStation 1. That was like the first first-person shooter that I ever owned. I remember playing it at my uncle's, and it was really difficult. Yeah, I thought it was difficult, too. Of course, I was a kid, but, I mean, I'm, I'm much better at first-person shooters now. Well, going back to character designs, though, um, since we're kind of leaving a lot of the style, since it's it's Star Wars, um, I think one of the other main ones, which we can uh, talk about, is uh, Prince Shizor. Yeah. So I know he predates him, but he looks like the live-action American Dragon Ball Piccolo. He kind of does. He kind of looks like Piccolo. He looks like a green reptile man, and then he's got like a Genghis Khan ponytail, but like only the ponytail coming out of the top of his head. Uh, let me let me see if I can find this comparison, because I want you to see this. Look at this. Oh my god. Oh, it does look like him. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> it's so cursed. It looks just like him. I it, it did not uh it did not like click with me who you were talking about. I was like, "Yeah, kind of, I don't really see Piccolo, but no, this guy that is yeah. <laughs> just No, like him. uh for people who are listening, I was specifically talking about the terrible live action Dragon Ball Evolution. Yeah, uh, the tragically bad Americanized adaptation. <laughs> it's the poster boy for bad American adaptations of, you know, beloved Japanese series. It's that one and Godzilla 98. Was it 98 or 2000? I don't remember. Uh, I don't know. It's something long in there. It was, isn't that span of time? Yeah. But uh, Prince Shizor looks like live-action Piccolo, which is not a compliment. <laughs> not at all. I think I, I feel worse about him now that you've shown me that. I'm never going to be able to get that out of my head. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, in terms of what he's supposed to embody, he's kind of a smug syndicate crime boss. And I think a lot of it, I don't know necessarily about in the game, but a lot of the artwork surrounding the game, they do succeed in making him look like a smug ass. Yeah, to me, like, if you just took, if you put a red lightsaber in his hand and told me he was a Sith Lord, I would believe you. He does kind of have that, like, oh, very bad, evil, bad guy look to him. Yeah. And shoulder pads. Does he have shoulder pads? Oh my god, let me get back. Right, now look. Oh, yep, he does. I don't know if he does in the game, but it's some Mm. of the artwork surrounding. That's massive. Those shoulder pads are like a foot off his, or away from his arm. Dude's about to go cast a spell in World of Warcraft. (laughs) He does. He looks just like a World of Warcraft character. Alright, so, we're gonna move on to audio now? Yeah, I actually have good things to say about this. I mean, let's start off with, it does vary greatly depending on which version you play, as far as the sound quality goes, right? Because the Nintendo 64 has that bit crushed sound to make it fit on the cartridge, but... Which some people find, what's it called, like, nostalgic. and yeah. yeah. I'm never able to find the Nintendo 64 sound quality endearing. I like a lot of the older stuff, like uh, SNES, but the Nintendo 64 is in one of those things where it doesn't have, you know, like, the charm of the 8 or 16-bit or 30, you know... It doesn't have that charm. It just sounds like a song, but worse. Yeah, so the PC is CD-quality audio, and then it just sounds like they crushed it down, like they ran it through LimeWire a couple times to get it down to size. And then, comparing that to some older games, I think the thing that makes older games sound better is the fact that they, they didn't take a file that was big and crush it small. They had a chip 
that made sound, and then they programmed the sound to come out of the chip, right? So like a MIDI kind of thing. And what you're hearing is the audio they designed as they intended it to sound because it's coming out of a, a chip instead of an orchestral score that John Williams arranged and then had an orchestra record and then they played it at 24 kilobits per second. Yeah, I want to actually talk about the music a little bit before we get to SFX. So okay. the music is actually really interesting because it doesn't only rip things from The Empire Strikes Back. It also has things from the tie-in Shadows of the Empire soundtrack that was part of the uh, the multimedia like push that they did. It was composed by Joel McNeely and performed by the Royal Scottish National Orchestra. And so you get a mix of actual John Williams, but, you know, you've got a few standout tracks that I think are worth, if you play it on Nintendo 64, it's worth listening to it as it was intended to be listened to and not crushed down by the Nintendo 64. Specifically, Shizor's theme from the ninth level of the game. Yeah, at times it was almost hard to determine what was original Star Wars score and what was for the game, I think that's actually probably a pretty big compliment. I mean, obviously, it being on the Nintendo 64 and all having the same, like, bit-crushed sound kind of makes them a little bit more homogenous sounding. Yeah. But it was definitely in the flavor of Star Wars, the original score, the songs that they put on here from the original score. So I thought that what they created for the Shadows of the Empire soundtrack, was, I was very impressed with, with that. I was too. Uh, in every game we've played so far, we've really listed a kind of standout track you know, that we enjoyed. So uh, I would say that Shizor's theme, the second half of it, it plays in Shizor's palace uh, level. It's probably my favorite track uh, from this game. I don't really have a favorite song from the soundtrack, so we'll just go with the one that you selected and let the audience um, have a clip of that. Yeah, I'm also going to send it to you so you can hear specifically where it starts his theme. Let's see. Yeah, by all means. We talked about the PC version. You mentioned it got FMV cutscenes, right? Yes. Here well, you go. Was this there is... any was there any voice acting in this other than like the Wilhelm scream? For the Nintendo 64, you'll get your typical, like, shot pain noises. Yeah. But, yeah, but that's that's it. Also, man, this game loves the Wilhelm scream. Yeah, literally any time. But it's not the exact Wilhelm scream. It's, like, one that's kind of close. I feel like there's another one that has a name. Uh, not the Wilhelm scream. There's another, like, canned scream that everyone uses in Hollywood, and that's what that one is. But I could be imagining that. Okay, here's a better cut. Listen to that, to the second one that I sent, so you can give comments on it. Uh, okay, thanks, UMG. It's blocked. <sighs> okay, so they they took that Imperial, uh, the Imperial March motif and incorporated that into this, which I think is part of why this sounds so identifiably Star Wars, because, I mean, they are using Star Wars mo motifs in it, but there's definitely something about the rhythm that, Gets like a guy banging on five gallon buckets or something. That, yeah, that's that's cool though. It works. So that's really neat. Very interesting and creative take on like Star Wars music. Yeah, I it feels not notably Star Wars, but with its own 
slightly unique take on it. That is not, it's not trying to completely go different, but it does have, you know, his mark on it. Joel McNeely's. All right, so sound effects are next. Um, you've got a lot of the iconic Star Wars ones that you'd expect to hear, like the blasters. Yeah, the ships, the TIE fighter engine noise. And uh, if some of these are, you know, nostalgic for you, even in their bit crushed forms, you're gonna you're gonna enjoy them. They're they're fine. They're good. They're obviously not you know full film quality, but they sound they sound pretty good because they were always a little bit the blasters were a little bit silly the the sounds, but I I love them. <laughs> Especially when you're spamming it like you often have to. Oh my gosh, the sound so and the S- and it kind of overlaps. Uh, okay, so um, you got anything else you want to say about audio before we move on? Not particularly. This is not really a game that I think it's important to dwell too much on besides the music. So now we're going to talk about the gameplay. So System, we've talked about that. You played it on a emulator on the PC. I emulated the Nintendo 64 version as well on my Steam Deck. Um, yes. The camera perspective. This is very interesting, actually, the way that the direction they went with this. Oh, well, go ahead. Take it away. Not only do they have several different types of gameplay, right? Like you've got the ships, you've got flying the ships, you've got shooting the turrets, you've got driving the speeder bike, and then you've got (coughs) Dash walking around. Uh, You also have multiple usable, toggleable view modes for every one of those. And there are definitely useful and not useful ones. <laughs> yeah, like in the rail railgun segments, I definitely found the first person easier to use. Oh, so much easier. And I feel so dumb because uh, the first couple of times I played through, I never used it. Like, I've never used an in-cockpit view for Hoth, uh, where you're flying the snowspeeder, and I never used the in-cockpit view for um, or the in uh, the gunner's seat in the gunner's seat view with the crosshairs in um, the first asteroid field. I'm actually kind of surprised, because don't you play Ace Combat with the in-cockpit view? Mostly, yeah, I do. Yeah. I just didn't think to push the button. I was like, oh, God, it's one of these. <laughs> um, so the usable ones, <laughs> since I'd say at least half of the game, probably more more than half of the runtime of this game, probably like 80% of the runtime of this game, you're on Dash Rindar on foot. The third-person mode is how you'll be playing this mostly, correct? Yeah, definitely. And let's just clarify. They didn't have, you know, 20 plus years of there being third person shooter action games to sort of decide what they wanted to do. They were making this up as they went along. This was one of the very first games to use a camera perspective like this with a 3D model. So say what you will. It they, and Tomb Raider, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got pretty close, right? Yeah. Um, they also put in the weird, like Resident Evil-ish <laughs> cinematic camera. Oh yeah, the cinematic camera. Who nobody has ever played this game on. Completely useless. That's there, so you accidentally turn it on or cycle to that. And you fail a jump. And, yeah, you mess up. Um, there's also a first-person mode, which is if it were like Doom. Or, you know, a first-person shooter, that's probably how I would have played this game. But instead, you just see nothing. (laughs) It's like you're in his eyes, and he's invisible. And anything he's holding is invisible. Which was a common thing with a lot of the uh, 
games that offered first-person modes, it was very clear that not a, not a lot of attention went into it. Yeah, that's not how you're supposed to play this game. Um, think about, like, Sonic, you know, or or some other third-person platformer game. They'll have, like a, like, a look mode, like, to make your character stop and look at something off in the distance. That's kind of what this is for. Uh, it was occasionally useful for aiming up or down at something that I was having a hard time hitting in third-person. Yeah, and you could be like me. You didn't know that existed until, like, the fifth level. The Z-aim thing. Oh, Oh, yeah. That changes the game dramatically. Yeah, so there is a function where you can uh, hold down, I think it was the Z button on the Nintendo 64 controller. I mapped it to RB on Xbox One. Mm -hmm. And it would kind of lock you in place, but allow you to aim freely. And this is sort of getting into combat and, and the weapons and stuff, but the weapon, the blaster, which is your primary weapon... He shoots it from the hip, there is no aiming reticle, and it just sort of goes towards the middle of the screen. There is some slight, like, magnetism to it, where if there is a target in the middle of your screen, he will kind of lock onto them and shoot in their general direction, but there is so much bloom on the blaster. Literally, like, 1 in 5 to 1 in 10 shots will be hitting if you were at any distance at all and not barrel stuffing your enemy. And the problem is is that as the game progresses, the levels get more uh, vertical. So mm. you'll have floating enemies and that kind of stuff who he will not shoot unless you go into that free aim mode. That's right. And there is another Achilles heel that we have not mentioned yet. Oh. And that is that the Nintendo 64 has one analog stick. Oh, yeah. A common problem for a lot of the old games. It makes Nintendo 64 and Sega Dreamcast shooters extremely difficult to play because they pretty much have to use tank controls. Which, they can work in some games. Like, I can play Resident Evil pretty well with tank controls. It feels weird in this. Oh, so weird. So, if you don't know what tank controls mean, if you're used to playing shooters now, your left stick will move you forward and backward, and then you can strafe left and right, and then the right stick is just your view. So moves which direction your character is facing. Because there's That's only been... one analog stick. Oh, really quick, since you're talking about that, I, I want to interject with a little fun fact about the twin okay. stick. So, the twin stick first person uh, shooter thing m was mostly popularized, air quotes popularized, by the uh, it was either Aliens vs. Predator or the Aliens game on, like, PlayStation 1 or something. Uh -huh. And it was hated when it was released. There were, like, articles like this ungodly control scheme of controlling your viewing with one stick. People despised it, and now it's the industry standard. Yeah, talk about being ahead of your time, right? Yep. So, <laughs> um, let's just say having a twin stick mode would have made this game significantly better, but the way that a tank, con the tank controls work, forward moves forward, back moves back. That doesn't change. Left on the analog stick rotates your character to the left, and right rotates him to the right. So, if you need to go around a corner and you know someone is standing there, you have to walk forward around the corner and then turn rotate left. <laughs> You're going to get shot. There is a button you can hold that allows, enables strafe, and learning how to use that is very helpful and almost necessary if you want to get through this game without 
chucking your controller through the screen. Especially on the later levels where they get, like, Hoth, which is one of the early levels, the enemies are just kind of, like, down a hallway from you. You see them coming. But some of the later levels, I swear every corner had an enemy behind it just to get a free shot on you. Yeah, they definitely did that on purpose in the level design, which level design's coming up here shortly. Um, so that button removes the weapon bloom from the blaster. It basically shoots straight like a laser should. And uh, just going to go ahead and say, while we're still on gameplay, tank controls are not conducive to a platformer. Oh, no. And this, and this game has platforming. How did Mario work? Was Mario didn't have tank controls, right? No, no, it was, it was full like 3D. A, like a smooth 3D, like, yeah. yeah. So he would, like, whip around real fast. Like, if, you, if you're if you facing uh, forward and then you, like, push down left, he just immediately turns into that direction and starts moving that way. Yeah, and the camera would adjust because you didn't, you weren't having to aim a gun, so it yeah. wasn't really. But the, uh, the fact that there's tank controls here, there's several sections where you're going to be jumping on platforms that are too small and running along, you know, ledges, mm. and they, there's not a worse control scheme for that. Yeah, getting that angle just right is, is really rough, and, you know, it wouldn't be a problem, as big of a problem, I should say, if you could, like, take your time, slow down, get the angle right, adjust, get the angle right, move on, you know, it's like a like a, a very th slim bridge going across a canyon, and it has a zigzag in it. So you have to, like, wiggle your way across this, and meanwhile, there's a droid hovering there trying to shoot at you while you do it. It's You're just it's, continuously taking damage. Yeah, it's really rough. So yeah, that's the camera and, and some of the controls and stuff. We talked about the combat somewhat there. So you want to do customization and progression? Yeah, okay. go ahead. So there is basically none, I mean very, very limited customization and progression, right? Yeah. Pretty much the only things you can unlock are extra lives. The jetpack. And then a few weapon upgrades. Which some of them are close to necessary for some bosses. Absolutely, especially the last boss. Yeah. There are how many ATST boss fights in this game? Two? I think it's two. It's two or three. Yeah, and you can do those with your basic blaster. Especially once you figure out you can literally stand underneath them. Yeah, they have no hurt box on their legs. The blaster model he has is the DL-44 like Han Solo had. Oh, another so, Han Solo comparison. Yeah, it's literally the same gun. The way the blaster works, it has infinite ammo, but it has some sort of like cooldown timer, right? So it has 999, and then you shoot it, and it takes away a certain amount, but immediately starts refilling the bar. But if you get it down to like, you know, one, I, I can't tell how this is supposed to work. Is it supposed to be like weaker when you're shooting it with a depleted charge? I think so, because it certainly feels like it. But at the same time, with the weapon bloom, it's like... There's an, no guarantee that the weapon is going to hit, so if you're, like, slow tap firing so that you're shooting charged shots every time, it's almost, like, that's almost a, a worse idea than just spamming weak shots because... There's no good, there's no good idea in, uh, in the shooting. Like, it's hard to really find an optimal playstyle. If you could ensure that they all hit, then the, you know, yeah. extra charge would be nice. The thing is, no matter how weak that shot is, especially for, like, the humanoid enemies, they stagger when you hit them, so 
it's best to keep them stun-locked with super weak shots so that they can't shoot you rather than trying to kill them quickly with charged shots more slowly. You know, like more slow shots, if that makes sense. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, the next weapon you get is uh, the Seeker. It's uh, kind of like a homing little um, missile, portable yeah. missile. Yeah, like a micro-missile kind of thing. Um, it's small, it's like feels like reasonably high damage. Yeah, it's uh, certainly helpful for the big bosses that your blaster, like, you'll unload a full clip and you'll see the little percentage go down 1%. Yeah. Um, next is the Pulse Cannon, which has an extremely high fire rate, an extremely short range, and extremely high uh, DPS. Uh, did you use it a lot? It's pretty much exclusively for nuking bosses, which is what I did with yep. it. Almost every extra weapon you get, you are doing yourself a disservice if you don't save it for the boss. Yeah. Um, it, this one looks interesting. It's like this little burst of purple particles. It's like a cloud of them. Yeah, it kind of feels like a flamethrower type thing. Yeah, but you know what feels more like a flamethrower? The flamethrower. It throws flames. It does exactly what you'd expect it to do. Did you use this very much? Not at all. Yeah, me neither. I I, I told you I watched that long play, and I saw the guy using it on um a boss. <laughs> we'll talk about it. we get to it. And I was like, huh, I didn't even know that would work. Yeah, the flamethrower... I don't know, I just didn't like getting that close, and I felt like every time I did get close and start doing, you know, decent damage, it ended, or, you know, I'm out of ammo. Yeah. Um, so we talked about how the Pulse Cannon is for nuking bosses. Uh, next is the Disruptor, which pretty much is a nuke. Yeah, that's literally its purpose, is just to nuke a boss, basically. It's this giant green, or well a moderately sized green orb that flies really slow and when it impacts something it like expands and fills the whole screen. The the BFG? Yeah, kind of like that. It has extremely high damage over time. Um the final boss, it'll take down like at least half of the health bar in one go. It's uh practically necessary for that uh for yeah. that boss. Um I went into that boss fight with two shots for the disruptor. And uh, how much does each disruptor shot take it down? Uh, it was about 50 to 80 percent depend uh, off of the health bar, depending. Which you need. Yeah. We'll get to that. We'll get say to that. that a lot. Uh, and then there is one more that um, I couldn't tell if it was useful at all, and that's the stunner. I I don't even remember that. <laughs> I yeah. don't even. I just beat the game again. Today. I don't remember the stutter. You know that scene in A New Hope when uh, set to stun and they shoot they shoot Princess Leia with the stun. It's like those concentric circles of blue. Okay, that's what it is. But I tried to use it on that final boss, and I don't think it did anything. I think it might only work on like biological enemies. So Maybe. So that's about all the progression. Okay, we're about to spoil the story of this game, such as it is. This is a multimedia project. So you don't get the whole story here, but what story there is, we're going to talk about the whole thing. This is your last chance uh, before you have this 20-something-year-old game spoiled. So turn back now if you don't want that to happen. As a note on the spoilers for this game and how they affect the entire multimedia release, uh, while this game is based on the novel of the same name, it is drastically different. As the novel, uh, the main character of the video game is not quite as important in the novel. All right, so um, now we're going to talk about the story and the stages. So uh, the game, as any piece of Star Wars media, starts with an opening crawl. 
And one, I want you to insert a kazoo cover of the Star Wars opening crawl theme, please. Basically, this opening crawl establishes that the game begins during the Battle of Hoth. It says that a lone freighter has entered the star system, which is the protagonist Dash Rindar on his ship. And this is where I have my notes about him just being bootleg Han Solo, and they don't even try to hide it. It's like... Hey guys, Han Solo is frozen in carbonite right now, so we just need somebody who can be Han Solo, except it's <laughs> they not found a Han, new Solo. Han Solo. Yeah, it's like it, it's like Han Solo's stunt double <laughs> walks in off that, screen, and they're both on camera at the same time. Dash Rendar is literally the meme of uh, we have food at home, the food at home. It's just yeah, like, we have Han yeah. Solo at Han home. Han Solo at home is perfect. Great uh, value, Han Solo. Yeah. yeah, like we mentioned, he's also a smuggler. He also flies a modified YT series freighter. He also has a DL forty four blaster. He also has a trusty sidekick, except his is a droid named Lebo. Uh, he knows Han Solo and thinks he's better than Han Solo. And so at this point, this is right before Han Solo gets frozen in carbonite. So you do get a little bit of a, an interaction between those two. Now here's a question. How big of a trope is it to have a bootleg Millennium Falcon in your Star Wars media? It's practically necessary, isn't it? Like for these pe- or for most of these, everyone has a bootleg Millennium Falcon because the Millennium Falcon is probably the most iconic spaceship. Yep. Um, it, it. What do you think? Actually, what do you think? X-wing, Millennium Falcon, or Star Destroyer? What is the most iconic? Uh, can, the, I say, it, can I say Death Star? That's a space station. <laughs> it's not a moon. It isn't a moon. No. So yeah, it doesn't win the most iconic moon either. Yeah, I don't know. God, that's a great question. Probably Millennium Falcon, yeah. Yeah. My my heart says X-Wing, my head says Millennium Falcon. When I, when you look at it, the X-Wing certainly is advertised more, you know, like, there, it's on logos and stuff. Yeah. But what does every supplementary material protagonist have? They've got, like, a rip-off YT series kind of thing. And they all have, always have a name, like, yeah, like, Star Wars X-Wing has a YT series where the cockpit's right in the dead center and then this game has one where it's off on the like way out on the side and then um kotor has the ebon hawk yeah and then you guys in the star wars saga edition game that we played had the decade duck God, that's a <laughs> wow deep cut huh yeah man that's uh those were the days yeah, so actually, the... that's something to mention really quick when we were talking about Star Wars and our history with it really quick. Uh, Star Wars is how Garrett and I met. Yeah, fun fact. I mean, we we knew each other, like, on Facebook, and uh, we're from a fairly small town, so we were in the same social network, but um, how we actually started hanging out was I uh, my Dungeons & Dragons 3.5 edition game we'd, I had been a player in ended, and I was going to GM... And I chose Star Wars Saga Edition, and I invited Austin to come play. Which turned out to be, like, a big brain move, because you're like, All right, do you have any interest in playing Star Wars Saga? I'm like, I own most of the books. I didn't know that. Yeah, he, can't say. And then uh, I, uh, you know, I brought them, and I, I like had a whole bag of minis, and you're just like, oh, what will I throw at you today? Yeah, and then um, we had, there was another player who played, like, one session, and brought a bunch of Star Wars minis and then didn't come back and didn't ask for his minis back. So he just like left them at my house. So we played the whole campaign with those. Well, I mean, they were they were useful. They were. Alright. Um Opening cutscene. So this is not the CD ROM version, so we don't get the full motion video 
cutscenes. So they play kind of like a storyboard or like a visual novel almost. Yeah. Um, Dash Rindar has a supply shipment for Echo Base on Hoth, which they have to have a reason for this guy to be here. You know, he lands and banders with Han, but this dialogue seems so ham-fisted to me. <laughs> a it's lot of like, this game he's is. A, he's a character in the world, can't you tell? You know? Yeah, it it's wanting... It's really wanting you to believe that he ex- has always existed. It wants you to be like, this is Dash Rendar from the hit novel, Shadows of the Empire. You know Dash Rendar. This is trying to accomplish something that is sort of the bane of all expanded universe stuff. It's implying that these interactions you're seeing in the game took place just off screen in The Empire Strikes Back. He was there the whole time. If they, pa- despite- if they panned the camera over, you would have seen him. Yeah, you would have seen him standing there. In With fact, the sometimes pads. they <laughs> stupid fucking shoulder pads. Uh, you know, it, it it even goes so far as to them like retconning some random ass characters standing in the background, running around with like an ice cream bucket or something, and they, <laughs> I'm sorry, ice cream maker, <laughs> and they and they're like, oh yeah, that's this guy, and and he's so cool, and he's got like a whole comic series now. This happens all the time, despite the fact that there's no hint that this person exists in the original movie. Psych, he was there the whole time. Because a lot of Star Wars supplementary material that is going to be, like, the novels would invent new characters, not create, or connected to things. And they would, you know, they were brave enough to do it because they were not as big budget. But any type of game like this, they want, it, they want you to have these recognizable set pieces. So that means the character had to be there. Yeah, and, you know, like, if you think about it, it's a given that there are thousands and thousands of soldiers in the Rebellion, you know, billions or trillions of sentient beings in the galaxy who didn't get any screen time. So there are at least hundreds, if not thousands, of people in the social networks of Luke, Han, and Leia who did not appear on screen. So How many it is do you not... think are carbon copies of Han Solo? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I mentioned, you know, so, this sometimes even goes as far as retconning the identities of background characters. For example, there's that whole thing about um, that guy with the beard, the white beard in the background in Return of the Jedi being Captain Rex. Yeah, from yeah. Clone Wars and Rebels. So, um, it, it, it happens... And it it is, I don't know if there's a way to do it elegantly, but it ain't this. No, not at all. It could it could happen, and there are definitely characters off screen who were important that we never met, but I don't know if this is the way, if, if Dash Rendar would or should be one of them. And so, obviously, he's at uh, Echo Base bantering with Hoth, and then... Hey, you know, good buddy, aren't we such best friends, my old pal? Yeah, you know, they're a little I'll bit I'll beat you next time we race. Yeah. And they're, they're trying to establish they have, like, some type of relationship like Lando and uh, Han. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, if a game starts at Echo Base, what's gonna happen? Oh, no. It's the, the Empire. Yeah, the Empire it's attacks. Dark Vader on his spaceship with his camel walkers. Shooting lasers at the good guys. So, Dash obviously hops into one of the speeders, uh, and that takes us into our first actual gameplay section. Yeah, one of the things that uh, Han said to Dash, I mean, it was like name-dropping. He was like, hey, maybe I could talk to Luke and get you into Rogue Squadron, which is a very kludgy, ham-fisted way of telling you that 
this guy is good enough to be in one of the most elitist of elite fighter squadrons. You know, it's like it's like the Blue Angels if they actually flew combat missions. Yeah. So it, th- I guess that's why they let him get in a speeder with no nothing else going he's on. He's a big deal, Garrett. He is. He's a bi- he is such a big deal that he was not in the original trilogy. Yep. He's too good. Too good. He would have been in show Han Solo up, right? <laughs> but he a 360 no scope Dark Vader. Yeah, so let's go ahead and mention though that the Hoth level, it is the first like real 3D home experience of flying one of the snow speeders. And basically single-handedly paved the way to the Rogue Squadron video game, a better video game. Yeah, everybody in the world who saw The Empire Strikes Back saw those snow speeders. I mean, at least in some part of the brain just, just would have said, man, wouldn't it be cool to fly one of those? It literally, and, it fulfills some part of like the primal brain that I want to throw ropes at giant robots and knock them down. Yeah, and you get to do that. You, the harpoon... And tow cable thing actually works, and you are rewarded a challenge point, even. Yeah, it works pretty good, too. Like, I didn't really have any problems connecting it. Um, Garrett, do you think it is bad to say this is probably the best level of the game? No, I think that's the general consensus, is that this is, this is the high point, and it's all downhill from here. Yeah, it's the main failure with this level is that it is too short, which I think is what ended up making Rogue Squadron happen, because they saw that the, you know, people were like, man, the, the that section was cool, I'd like to have more of that, and then Rogue Squadron happened and kind of just built on practically the same engine, but just did it way better. You know, it's too short, but at the same time, it's actually full of filler material, because yep. there are four stages, and they really could, like, they could have called it just stage four, and yeah. done just stage four and been that been it. So the way the stages work in this is stage one, you're flying the snow speeder and you have like three probe droids or something. And then like yeah. stage two, now there's an ATST and some probe droids. Then stage mm-hmm. three, there's a you know a single uh, ATAT and a- or two ATSTs and a few probe droids. And then stage three or four, there's like two. It's AT- just double what stage three was. Yeah. Yeah. So. It really is just kind of slowly increasing the difficulty. I didn't, uh, I didn't really mind with the filler because I was having fun on these controls, and mm-hmm. you know, it is a breath of fresh air to have fun in this game. So <laughs> that's brutal. A few, uh, <laughs> a few like technical things here. If you're not familiar with the names of the machines in Star Wars. The probe droids are those, it looks like um, a ball with little metal tentacles. It's kind of like a floating robot octopus thing uh, from Empire Strikes Back. Juan, play the Flimmin' on the Flim Flam sound effect. Flimmin' on the Flim Flam? Yeah, I've seen people refer to it as that. It's <laughs> People refer, or will know the probe droids by that sound effect more than uh, the name probe droid. The ATSTs are the chicken walkers. Yep. And the AT-ATs are the camel walker things. And the snow speeders are the things that shoot the cables that trip them. That's what you're flying. Now, there is one thing, another thing that I need to clarify about these snow speeders in this mission. You do not have an aiming reticle. Yeah, you fire straight ahead of you. Yeah, it just shoots to the middle of the screen, and then the blasters fly slow enough that it basically works like a tracer. But if you turn and fire while you're turning, then the blasters go way off, like, in the direction that the snowspeeder is is looking. So, if you're, like, trying to adjust your aim minutely, it is very, very difficult, especially when you're approaching something at speed. So, you can speed up, 
and you will want to be doing that and like zooming all over the screen to avoid getting shot as you fly away. But when you're flying in for a run, if your aim is off and whatever you're looking at is not directly in the center of your screen, it can be very difficult to adjust minutely and get your blaster shots going where they need to go because the only way you know is to keep shooting, right? Yep. So that makes this really slow and kludgy at first. I mean, you get used to it, but it is definitely suboptimal. Yeah, not intuitive, really. Um, but following that level, he lands the snow speeder, and we have the escape from Echo Base. Yeah, so you see a little cutscene where the ATATs blow up the shield generator on the outside, and it just immediately dumps Dash Rendar into the interior of the Hoth base. And you see a snowspeeder there where he presumably has landed it. And your goal is to, like, fight to the Outrider and stuff. Uh, and along yeah, the way... Yeah, there's some on-screen dialogue from your droid, Lebo, telling you that you have to turn on the emergency generators to open the hangar doors to escape. Which, yeah, it stands to reason the main generator was destroyed. That makes sense. Yeah, and along the way you're going to see things that are like, oh, look, you're adjacent to the movies, like the Falcon taking off. Yeah, that was cool. It's like... This like he ran up just off screen, like if the like what you had said earlier, if the camera panned over to that side, you would have seen him standing there trying to fight the stormtroopers or snowtroopers. Yeah, I still love the snowtrooper design. Yeah, me too. So the base is completely filled with troops as well as wampas. Yeah, you <laughs> where'd they come saw, from? Why why did they have them trapped in jail? <laughs> <laughs> they were arrested for wampa, crimes you- against Luke. Yeah, this Wampa was arrested for disturbing the peace. But there's there's a room that has like a force jail with like three Wampas in like different prison cells, and you can you can let them out if you want. And yeah, do you get something for fighting them? There's like a challenge point in there that they're guarding or something. I think. Yeah, right? you don't have to kill them. You can just open it, kite them, and then run in and grab it and leave. So, um, the actual level design of this Hoth base, it is. <laughs> Not that far from a game that came out three years before, that we mentioned before, Doom. It's just corridors and buttons. Yep, corridors and buttons, and then occasionally little rooms adjacent. Yeah, all over, all over this level, and in every level, there are these little, like, hidden alcoves and locations that enemies are placed in to intentionally make them hard to spot and the only way that you know they're there is a you've played the level and found them before or b the way i found them is they shot me (laughs) and i followed their blaster trace and if you were like kind of glancing at this other side of your screen and you missed it you might be like where the hell did that come from and what's worse the tank controls make it extremely slow to react to them like if you walk past them and he's like behind you to your left like at your seven or eight o'clock you have to, like, stop and turn or back up, and it's just so slow, and you're vulnerable Dash, the whole time. Dash is like, give me a second. You're <laughs> going to be dead soon as he slowly rotates in place. Yeah, any second. Any second now. And 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 there, it, it gets worse, man. It gets worse, but, but we'll... Yeah, we'll get there. The thing about the Wampas, it really does feel forced, like we were talking about. Like, you remember Hoth? This happened on Hoth. Luke saw a Wampa, that thing that trapped him in the cave. Well, guess what? Now they're fucking everywhere in the base. It's that thing that you saw in the movie. You remember it's that thing from the movie? Oh, my God. At the end of the level, as, like, Hoth is crumbling and breaking, uh, the base is breaking. Because I guess, like, the glacier, whatever it's built on, is, like, cracking. There's cracks forming everywhere. Yeah, and so now you get your first real taste of the jumping mechanic in this game. Which... 
it, it sure is jumping. Now, I'm not an expert on jumping, obviously, <laughs> but uh, I, I feel like jumping should feel better. I can't say I'm much of an expert either, but um, at the times when I could jump, it did not feel like this. Uh, oh. It's it's <laughs> it's uh, weirdly like floaty. I guess it's almost like he's moon jumping, but he has the the momentum of like a like a semi truck or something when he's in the air. Yep. It, you uh, if you overshoot, you ain't correcting. Yeah, he can sort of, like, turn his body in mid-jump, but cannot change his trajectory. So, if you did not jump at the right angle, you can just sort of look at the place you were supposed to land as you fall to your death. Yeah. Well, this level ends with the first real boss fight, which is the ATST. now that you are on foot. Yeah, this is in a- he's, like, in this arena surrounded with pickups, and then there are these, like, like walkways at about- head height to the ATST on the walls. Yeah, and you can climb up there to get shots at him, and I thought that was the intended thing, but that'll just get you killed. Um, the easiest way to beat the ATST is to stand directly underneath him, because as Garrett mentioned in a previous section, he has no hurt boxes on his legs, so he'll just kind of walk in a circle, and you just look up and shoot him. Yeah, you just do the little conga line thing, follow him around, and spam your blaster shot as you do it. If you yeah. are not doing that, you're going to be taking cover a lot, taking small pot shots, and one hit of his blaster will take you down like 30%. Yeah, it's awful. Uh, I think that's the intent, is that you're supposed to, like, because there's seekers up on those walkways, you're supposed to, like, get up there and grab the seekers and peek out and shoot a couple at him and... But yeah, hilarious. You can just cheese it, and that's great. Uh, very glad that you can. So you reach your freighter in the hangar... Right, the the YT twenty four hundred Outrider, and you you don't just like get to the freighter and interact with it and take off. That thing is packed <laughs> with snowtroopers. It's like a clown car, and they're just all over the inside of that. You have to go in there and clear them out to finish the mission. And I swear to God, they put them in there just to surround you and all shoot you at the same time on purpose. I will say, uh, as annoying as that was, it was cool to be able to, like, walk around in one of the ships like that. Yeah, I, I was not expecting that. Yeah, because it, it makes it feel a lot more like the ship is a ship and not just a gameplay model, if that makes sense. It does, yeah. So following this, when Dash escaped Echo Base and is on the run from the Empire, we have the next gameplay section, which it does give you three different ones right back to back. The first, second, and third level are all different. So the first is a, you know, arcade flight sim kind of thing with the snow speeder. The second is a third person adventure shooter. And then this one is just a pure on the rail shooter. Yeah, third level, third type of gameplay. Lebo, your droid, is flying the Outrider through this asteroid field, and you see the Star Destroyer out there too, and so putting two and two together, this is like, this is the Navy that brought the ground force that invaded Hoth, right? Yeah, and your goal is to do the classic Star Wars thing of trying to lose them in an asteroid field. I actually enjoyed the asteroid field on the rail shooter. I I don't know if I really enjoyed it, or if I just enjoyed it because I had just done the Hoth level, uh, the, the uh, on-the-ground one. It's a refreshing change of pace either way. Yep. So you're using this laser turret, and you have this quota of TIE fighters and bombers that it's you like have to shoot. It's like 60 total. It's a ton. You have to shoot them before they can blow up your, your ship. And the TIE bombers will, like, hover in place around your ship, and then they'll have this little green orb. It's just the disruptor shot model um, that they'll shoot at you, and you can shoot that out of the air and blow it up, or out of the vacuum and blow it up. And, uh, yeah, that's it. You literally... Yeah, this one actually, though, you know, it does something 
that the Snowspeeder mission did not do. What is that? It gives you an aiming reticle. Yes, it does. C- can I can I can I have an aiming reticle, please? Like in it, all of the missions? No, you get it for this one and the final level, and that's it. So that mission is over. Pretty much, you uh, are able to jump to hyperspace and escape. So uh, that brings us to part two, and guess what? It's another title crawl. Yeah. So this is the time to mention. Let's, let's have let's have the kazoos now. Okay. This is the time to mention that the game is kind of cut into four pieces with each one trying to be its own little self-contained story, I guess. So part one is about the Battle of Hoth uh, on in the air, on the ground, and then the escape. Mm-hmm. And then part two pa- is called In Search of Boba Fett. Could they not have thought of a cooler name? They're kind of just self-explanatory right there, huh? Yeah, I was thinking you could call it, like, Hunting the Hunter, but then you would lose the opportunity to name drop Boba Fett. In the title card, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, here's a question. Can you think of another Star Wars game that has two title crawls? Or any piece of Star Wars media? I mean, pretty much games and Uh, and movies. No. Wait, wait, wait. I can think... It's cheating, but the Lego games technically have a uh, title crawl for each individual movie that you start. Yeah. That's cheating, though. Yeah, so, but otherwise, no. This this one gets four title crawls, bro. Dash Rendar is a huge it, deal. He's such a big deal. He is so much more Han Solo-ier than Han Solo. He gets four title crawls for one game. Oh my god, I just realized. Uh, I always change my picture in the Circle Strafe Discord to whatever game. I'm going to be Dash Rendar's shoulder pad. <laughs> So some time has passed, and this is actually taking us to after Han was frozen in carbonite. So this is in between Empire and Return. That's right. So Dash and Luke are also buddies. Of course, Dash is like the fourth, the fourth of the three Musketeers, right? <laughs> yeah, it's it sucks that he wasn't able to get in the movies because you know he's their best friend. He's a bet their best buddies. He's such a big deal, but he just wasn't in the movie. Because they just couldn't find the right actor or something. Anyway, so they're going to... Dash and Luke are... They're trying to find Boba Fett to rescue Han. And it... This is where you first actually learn about Prince Shizor in the game. It mentions that a new threat has appeared. And it's a gangster who wants to capture Luke Skywalker where Vader failed as a way to ingratiate himself to the Emperor and supplant Darth Vader as the Emperor's second-hand man. Yes. What do you think about what do you think about that? Uh, I think it's the same general thing that a lot of Star Wars media tries to do whenever they introduce a villain whose goal is to supplant Vader, and that's kind of a common trend. It's at always... the time, were there a bunch of those? I don't know if there was at the time, but it certainly is now. Yeah, whoever came up with it, that's a fairly clever motive for a tertiary villain, but yeah. um, I think there's been a lot of copying of that homework since then. The thing I have to say about it is... What happened to show, don't tell? Because you literally just told me, a new threat has appeared. A gangster wants to capture Luke Skywalker. Like, sh- Somehow. <laughs> I, all I had to do was say that. <laughs> show, don't tell. That's tell, uh-huh. never show. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's a limitation of the medium. Is it a Nintendo 64 cartridge? I don't know how much, like, how else they could have done. Maybe this is something that would have been more compelling if you'd read the book. Maybe they do it better there. I haven't read it. I have read a bunch of the Expanded Universe novels, just not that one. Maybe so. for our uh, bonus episode, we'll read the book. Oh, don't put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. I Hold on, let me check how many books there are. It's one. Is it just one? It's one, yeah, and there's an audiobook read by AI on YouTube. I started reading it. 
or listening to it. Who wrote it? Steve Perry. Never heard of him. Not Timothy Zahn, not Drew Carpetian, not Michael Stackpole. He wrote some uh, Aliens book. That's kind of cool. But yeah. All right. So going back, Prince Shizor is going to be our antagonist for this film because obviously Dash can't, you know, take down or be super instrumental in the defeat of Darth Vader and Palpatine and that kind of stuff because he wasn't there. I mean, he was out of frame. Um <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like you get a you get a cutscene where like like Luke and and Vader are fighting and then every time Vader's about to hit Luke, Dash Rendar shoots him in the back just from off screen. He kind of like flinches, <laughs> so that's what allows every, Luke to not get hit every yeah. time. Uh, the Death shoot Star like Pew. trench run. He was like shooting ties off of Luke, <laughs> and that's why that's why only like four ties showed up in the trench. It's like bad green screening. You know that bad that 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 YouTube channel where it's like green screening the same car crash into every yeah. dash cam. It's just like that, but it's dash Rendar in the in the jeep or something. Well, but now I'm gonna have to see if somebody will make that. Right. So yeah, uh, the general plot of this entire part part is hunting bounty hunters and stuff to get information on Fett to uh, try to acquire Han Solo and get him back in the Rebel Alliance. Generally, save him. And it opens with hunting one of my favorite Expanded Universe characters as a kid. Yeah, By it's the way, a bounty hunter. He's not mm-hmm. an ex- really quick. He's not an Expanded Universe character. He was in the original trilogy, but he was not expanded upon. Yeah, he kind of got the same treatment as Boba Fett, where he was just some random tertiary character who was standing in the background and people latched onto him because he looked cool. I think Boba Fett was the one who people latched onto more, and so he ended up having a more important role to play in Return of the Jedi. But IG88 was. It could have easily been him, right? It could have been him, yeah. Um, So IG88 is a bounty hunter droid, like, kind of an expert at killing. And we have uh, seen the IG series in later media, too, which you, a lot of the people watching this are probably more familiar with the IG series and kind of from, like, uh, The Mandalorian, you know? Yeah, that's um, what I was thinking, too. So, you know, that show kind of does a really good job of showing that they are deadly. So that we are on uh, Ordman Tell, right? That's right, yeah. The mission, mission four is called Ordman Tell Junkyard. And... This is kind of a really unique level. So here's a fun fact. Um, This is from that article I sent you. Before the developers of this game even knew they were getting the Star Wars license, they were planning a Western shooter game, and the mission that they were working on was a train level. That explains so much. So... Uh, for the people who have not played the game, this level, you start on, like, a, a flat cargo uh, trailer for a train. and You've seen a train with a flatbed car. That's what this is, except instead of being on, like, tracks on the ground, it's like a, like a monorail that's hovering over this giant junkyard. Yeah, so Ord Mantell has these, like, city-sized junk uh, yards with, like, huge pieces of starship scrap, which makes sense, because as our, like, vehicles and stuff got massively bigger, you know, can handle, you know, I don't know the crew of a Star Destroyer. The Super Star Destroyer, the Executor, had hundreds of thousands of crew. Okay. 37,000 crew on board on a, on a Class 1. Okay. So, as, obviously, vehicles get bigger, these junkyards are going to get bigger, you know? So you start on the back of a train going through this junkyard... And you're shooting, like, these droids and stuff and flying enemies. I was saying that, so there come these sections where you have to uh, jump from one train car to another. And 
I think aesthetically, this is one of the strongest levels in the game. It has a very clear identity. It's not, it's not relying on original trilogy, uh, motifs fully. Cause we don't really see a giant junkyard like this, you know? Yeah, they had a good idea, and they thought, how can we make this work in Star Wars? Yeah, and aesthetically, it's really cool. Uh, it's pretty fun. It would be more fun without the tank controls. It brings it, the tank controls and the overall jank bring it down substantially. Because I need you to imagine, we've mentioned the hell of tank controls. Now imagine you're having to jump from one speeding train to another. And we've also mentioned the weird, like, momentum effect that Dash Rendar has when he jumps. The train tracks are not always straight. Oftentimes, you'll have to jump when it's curving, and that makes it really hard to line that up correct. And Lebo, your droid, actually even warns you to be careful when jumping while the train is turning for that reason. Yeah. So, overall, I would say that, you know, this is one of the standout levels of the game, for both better and worse. It does kind of show off a lot of the flaws with the movement, but I am at least impressed by... their. It's a very unique idea. Yeah, and if you listen to our Circle Strafe bonus level episode about Star Wars, I'll have spoken about my trip to Disney World, and um, my wife's uncle went with us, and we were talking about this game because I told him we were doing this episode, and this is his favorite level. He hadn't played it in, I mean, what is that, uh, 20-something years? Yeah, if he didn't play it until it was released, that's, that's yeah. 27 years. Yeah, um... Uh, and he still remembered this level. And was like, I remember the train level. I love that one. And that was my favorite one. And I was like, yeah. So, I mean, it does make a big impact for some people. It's because it's very distinctive. Because I feel like um, if it and the Hoth level are competing for my favorite. But even if I have more fun playing the Hoth level, I think this is the better level just because of its unique identity. Yeah. Um. So, we've talked about you're on the train, right? Yep. Did we mention the obstacles, the bridges that you duck under or jump we didn't. over? So there'll be these little uh, sections of like, uh, you know, kind of like hanging scrap metal or like these signposts and stuff. And this is where you'll probably first learn that there's a like a crouch button. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you have to either jump or crouch under certain ones. And uh, if you don't know there's a crouch button, boy, you're going to get hurt. But once mm -hmm. you do, it's it's pretty forgiving. You see them coming a mile away. Yep, and that's not the hard part. The hard part is jumping from train to train, yep. and you have to do that. There's, um... I think three or four train transitions. Yeah, other tracks that come up alongside, and sometimes there are enemies on the other train who will try and shoot at you, and there are these droids that fly over to shoot blasters at you, and you gotta shoot them. And then, once you get to the towards the end, there are these laser gates. Like, if you think about in The Phantom Menace, if you've seen that, when they're in the the reactor core during the lightsaber duel with Obi-Wan... Qui-Gon Jinn and Darth Maul. Yeah, Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon, and Darth Maul. Those, like, red laser gates, it's it's those. They're across the tracks, and you have to shoot, like, a control panel to deactivate them. Did it feel like the control panel had way more tracking for your shots than any other entity in the game? I didn't notice that, but it would not surprise me. Yeah, it, it did for me. So, overall, pretty fun level. Garrett, does it end with a fun boss fight? <laughs> the first part, going into this boss fight, so setting, setting us up for success, Lebo, to get you into the boss fight, remotely disables the train's brakes, the train that you're on, and causes a fiery high-speed train crash with a set of solid metal doors. With Dash at the front of the train. <laughs> yeah. How is he alive? So, I don't... The shoulder pads? 
the shoulder pads are good for something that lasts. So yeah, you you see it. It's like a fucking giant fireball. And, you see it. And Dash is fine. Dash is fine. Yeah. Built different. Could Han Solo survive that? Oh, Han Solo definitely not. Dash is way better. Yeah. You get this cutscene with IG88, and you know part of going into this, I was like, okay, so IG88 has been chasing Boba Fett to try and steal the uh, the Han Solo frozen in carbonite, right? To take it to Jabba to get the bounty instead of Boba Fett. Makes sense. Um, I'm like, okay, so what are they gonna blow up IG88 and then like like take his take his his memory core and like plug it up to the ship and hack into it and get the information out that way? Uh, no, <laughs> that's not what happens. And what does happen, Garrett? He gives you one line of dialogue, the one line of dialogue he has in this game, and just tells you exactly where <laughs> Boba Fett is. You don't even ask him. He's just like, aha, he's, he's over there. there. Now kill me. It's a bit unceremonious, which I don't know why they didn't think about just taking his head and plugging it up to the ship computer or just having Lebo read his databanks, you know? Yeah, you'd think. That would have made that would have been like more on flavor and stuff. Uh, the IG-88 fight sucks. It's not the worst, but it's, not it's the worst. one of. <laughs> it's it's annoying. The main problem I have with it, I'm okay with how much damage he does. It feels fitting. I'm not okay with the fact that there's such limited ammo and your sh- gun is a pea shooter against him. I feel like the humanoid bosses should take a bit more damage from the gun. You know, the normal pl- uh, blaster. Yeah, the worst part about this, though, to me, is his animations. Yeah. His, his jumping animation, he looks like a little Lego guy. It looks so goofy. Like, I'm supposed to be scared of that. <laughs> Where he has, like, the one frame as he's, like, floating up to the next level. Yeah, he, like, puts his arms way up in there. Imagine a Lego figure jumping where they swing their little arms and jump up into the air, and then he just, like, levitates. <laughs> it's pretty funny. He's, like, no-clipping through the air at you. Yeah, it's so goofy. So he'll he'll shoot at you with a blaster from a distance, and then he'll try to get close to you and shoot you with a pulse cannon. Basically... The the idea is you just avoid his fire and shoot him with Seekers. That's how you're supposed to handle this. Hope you got Seekers. Yeah, um, there is also a hidden invincibility power-up in this level. Did you find it? Yeah, it's inside, like, the fucking furnace. Yeah, the incinerator thing. Yeah, yeah which... that's only on easy or medium. If you play on hard, it's not there. I played on medium. Okay, so you blow up IG-88 after Rip. he told you exactly what you needed to know. Unprompted. Uh, unprompted. And then... You're going to follow that lead. Uh, to the pl- uh, moon of the planet Gaul. There's a spaceport. There's a spaceport there. Which is and, the name of the uh, level, right? Gaul spaceport? Yeah, yeah, Gaul spaceport. So Dash tells Lebo, hey, we're going to have to hide the ship from the Imperials because there's an Imperial presence in the star system. And they're going to have to, quote, go in the hard way to find Boba Fett. So what does he mean by the hard way? Austin? This planet sucks. Um, I don't know why anyone ever colonized this moon. Uh, the hard way means tightrope walking on cliffs that literally go so far up that you cannot see the ground. Yeah, you're like in the Grand Canyon, but it's the Grander Canyon, like the Mega Grand Canyon. This might even be the grandest canyon. The grandest canyon, yeah. You have to run and jump along these, like, narrow pathways on either side of the canyon, and then there are these little death bridges and tightropes that go across. And The entire time enemies in corners are shooting at you. So you're trying to line up a jump, and then some stormtrooper is just taking pot shots at you. Yeah, they're up, they're down, they're all around. They're on some random ass- 
platform that there's no f-ing way to get to. They're just like, <laughs> did they get dropped off there? Did a did one of the Lambda cruisers just kind of like fly over and like just let that guy off? <laughs> Day three hundred and eighty six of being stuck on this one foot wide outcropping on the moon of Gaul. God, stormtroopers' life sucks. I've eaten my last applesauce. <laughs> I don't know. Midway through the level, though, you do get uh, the jetpack. That makes makes it a little bit better. That makes it a lot. That made it a lot better. I was actually yeah. having fun with the jetpack. Yeah, me. it was. It makes it, it. It makes it so that a missed jump you can recover. I wish that they doubled the jetpack fuel. It was like pull like a like pulling my own hair out trying to do the jumping stuff without the jetpack but when you get the jetpack the jumping puzzles actually are kind of fun yeah uh but but yeah i would have liked more fuel yeah new, more fuel i do like the section right after you get it where you fly like the mile in the jetpack uh-huh. and it really does feel yeah you know, it makes the level feel huge it does. They're like very distant platforms that you almost can't see. It doesn't have like distant lands or anything. It it, it has the uh, volumetric fog. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Uh, it has the fog so that you can't see very far, like off in the distance, and that's how it it deals with not drawing the whole level at once. So you could like barely see this little gray platform in the mist, and you run and jump and have to like manage your fuel to get there. It's pretty cool. And you get to this installation. It's another installation, and this is where you'll fight the second ATST sub. Yeah, it's kind of like a power station. Yeah, that's kind of what it looks like. And this is where you start to get some more tropes. But the thing is, where did the tropes come from? Because this is 1996. This is one of the first 3D action games ever. This there's the AC ducts right that you're going through. That's a thing. And you have to push the right combination of, of buttons outside in the hangar to open the doors and the AC ducts to get through. What's in those AC ducts, Austin? Enemies. Why are there stormtroopers in the AC ducts? To shoot me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> there are just enemies in places where they don't make sense. We mentioned the outcropping, you know, the random one-by-one, one, you know, platform. And then there are stormtroopers who landed there and their commanding officer was like, you, in the ducts. There's, they're literally in the fucking ceiling. You got stormtroopers in the ceiling. It, it, it's, it's, it's fucking weird. Who did this and why? I mean, there's, there's just, I guess, there's no common sense to be had because this type of game was completely uncommon at the time, right? Yeah, nobody thought, why would a stormtrooper be here? They, they're like, well, this would be too long to go without an enemy. I guess, yeah. You need to be shooting things at all times. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that really got on my nerves is there's this T intersection, right? So you're coming along the long leg of the T, and there are hostile droids on both sides of the intersection. So no matter what you do, there is a droid 180 degrees behind you shooting you, and you could do nothing. There's no, there's no way around it. You're going to take a shot from one of them. Yeah, at least one. Maybe two but- if you miss your first shot. Yeah. Which like, you might. You might. Like, if you know they're there, you could face in the direction of one of the T's and hold the button to enable strafe and, like, try to jiggle peek that corner and, like, peek, shoot, and then get back in. But even that, I mean, that's a lot of work, and it's... I tried that, and it's not... It's not full ...consistent. Through. Yeah, you still get shot. And then there's another trope, uh, the spinning fan blades of death that you have to jump through. Yeah. Those... Uh, I don't think this game was one of the first ones for those. I feel like they were on some of the, like, early Quake and Dooms. Yeah. But, it, I mean, spinning fan blades of death is just something that everyone loves. 
you got corridors, you gotta have the spinning fan blades of death. I mean, this is in everything. Yeah. Right? This is in... Every genre. This is in Oblivion. This is in Skyrim. Ding, ding. <laughs> oh, a double ding. Um, and after you leave these corridors, this is when you get to the boss fight. Which you fight the big guy himself, Boba Fett. Bob. The, uh, the fight with Boba Fett is actually... I actually found pretty fine it was it was fine it was not as annoying to me as the ig88 fight um but that's because he has phases yeah <laughs> kind of <laughs> boba fett was fine the i did yeah. or, i can't say the same for the slave one <laughs> yeah oh it's not called that anymore oh is it not oh right no, you can't have slaves all right slaves aren't real so shut okay up. Uh, hey what what was leia in return uh Moving on. Cons- cons- consensual S&M partner? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> so, so the Boba Fett fight is jetpack versus jetpack. I thought it was cool. It was thematically cool. Yeah, you're flying around, shooting each other, and that's cool. Then you defeat him, and his jetpack spins out of control, like in Return of the Jedi. And he falls, like, as he's falling, this door opens underneath him, and he falls through it, and then the door closes, and then it opens, and his his ship flies out of it. This was not fun. You have to fight a starship. As a guy. As a dude. Just some dude fighting a starship. It just now clicked for me. They're really trying to make Dash not just Han, but also a little bit of Boba Fett, because you got missile launchers, and you got a jetpack. Yeah, I mean he's it's literally like a mirror match when you're fighting just Bo- just Boba Fett. Yeah, I called him Bob Bob Fett. Bob Fett. Robert <laughs> um, Fett. <laughs> Mr. Robert Fett. So you, you um you have to fight the starship which has these guns that can rotate literally in all directions. You are not safe anywhere. And it's canonical. I mean the slave one as it was once called, now it's called Boba Fett's starship uh, or the fire spray, I guess. Uh you um it's canonical that those blasters can rotate and shoot behind the ship, right? Yeah, because you're not supposed to fight it as a guy. No. How much better would this have been, Garrett, if you beat Boba Fett there and he took off with a Slave One and you had a dogfight with him with the Outrider? Yeah, that would have been awesome. That's not and what we get. And it was like they had the stuff in the game, they could have just they could have done made that happen. Yeah, we don't get that. Instead, Dash somehow beats the Slave One. Shooting it with a handheld blaster, like with a handgun. Like, it's like that scene from Saving Private Ryan where uh, Woody, no, what's his name? The dude who played Woody, Tom Hanks, is shooting the tank with the pistol and it blows up. Yep. Yeah. It's just, at any point, by the way, the there was like, you know, open sky. Boba Fett could have just flown away. He could have, and he, he stuck it out. He threw hands until he got his ass blown up, whatever. Respect. It was stupid, though. Uh, but he doesn't actually get blown up because he escapes in part three, hunting the assassins. Oh, that's why they couldn't call it hunting the hunter because they had hunting the assassins. Okay. Okay. And how does part three start off, Austin? With a level that makes me want to kill myself. Another um, title crawl. Y- oh. Give me more kazoos. Let's hear it. Dude, I was so... We can actually keep in my mistake there, because I was so dreading this level that I completely forgot the title card existed. Yeah. Oh, boy. So, Le- Leia. Leia has found out there assassins trying to kill Luke Skywalker, right? So she asks you to go with Luke to Tatooine and I guess protect him. <laughs> she tells she asks you to watch his back. My notes here that. are why the hell does a return of the Jedi Luke need protecting? Yeah, like he 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 would know if someone were trying to come after him, right? He would feel that 
disturbance in the force, but... And any enemy that Dash Rendar could take down, you would think Luke could. Yeah, now, so... You're supposed to be racing to to take out all the enemies before they can get there. Yeah, I have where, to... where, where is Luke? Like, where are they going? They're going to uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi's home, our yeah, old Ben so Kenobi. Luke is there, presumably to, like, do meditation and training, or maybe to learn from the Force Ghost of Obi-Wan. So, Dash lands and gets a convenient speeder bike. Yeah, I guess that's just what you do. It's like, you know, you land in Miami, so you rent a moped. Yeah, so the your, the game kind of makes you think, or at least it made me think, that I was supposed to beat the swoop bikers there. That's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to kill them all. Because if even a single one makes it to Luke, they kill him, I guess? <laughs> yeah, some random, just, like, so random hobo with a blaster is able to kill a, a legit full-on Jedi. Yeah, so I need to just point out right now, Dash is better than Han. Does Is he better than Luke? Yeah, lightsaber. What, what is it that Han says? Oh, the, uh, what is it like? Nothing, uh, nothing yeah. don't beat a good blaster by your side, kid. Yeah, you just gotta be Dash Rendar. Pokey religions and ancient weapons are no match for a good blaster at your side, kid. I butchered that. Yeah, it's the shoulder pads, man. Shoulder it pads is. plus blaster. Now, what if we gave Luke the shoulder pads? Mm. So, anyway, the level starts and you have like eight swoop bikers in front of you. There is a bar at the top of the screen showing like how close they are to kind of finishing the level. Now, my initial thing when starting this is I need to get there before them, so I'll try to zoom past them. To warn Luke they're coming so he can get ready and kill them, because he has a lightsaber and the force, right? Yeah. Well, that's not what you're supposed to do. <laughs> if you try to race ahead of them, the ragdoll AI will shoot them in front of you to a staggeringly fast degree, where it looks like they hit fucking warp speed on land. You have to go against your instincts and take it slower and methodical and kill every swoop bike. It's like a kart racing level, basically. It's a point A to B track, so not a circuit. And like Austin said, you have to race to the end. You're on this swoop bike, which is like a hover bike, motorcycle thing. And you're in Moss Eisley, which is... It, it starts off in Moss Eisley, which if, if you've seen A New Hope, that's the town that they all go to at the start of the movie. These swoop bikes are racing through these buildings, and it's not a straightforward track. It's a nightmare. The draw distance is awful. How many times did you hit a wall that wasn't there because you were moving faster than the draw distance? Uh, none, because I hit regular walls that were there and... Oh! <laughs> <laughs> so I told you, I think my Steam Deck was playing this game too fast a little I bit. I would not want to do this level too fast. It was really rough. Like I, I mean, wish I, was my, I wish my thing would have glitched and made me play this at half speed. So I figured out the rubber banding thing and I abused it. I'd basically just feathered my accelerator the whole time. So the way, the way you do it is you get up alongside this guy on a swoop bike and you have a button to nudge them with your shoulders and you can either nudge them into an obstacle at speed and they'll die or like if you nudge them three times he just explodes. <laughs> It's the shoulder pads. The shoulder if, pads, yeah. If Dash nudged you three times, you'd explode. I would. <laughs> God. So, this level took me longer than most levels, because I was, it was like 1am the first time I was playing this, and you know how when you're up late playing a game, you get real fucking stubborn about how you're doing it? Yeah, I kept I trying to race them. Oh, boy. 
I was sitting there streaming it to a few of my friends because I'd been doing it for so long. And I was like sitting there trying to race them. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm going to just try to kill them. And then I barely like, you know, went at speed. I was just like you said, feathering the accelerator. And then just I killed them all. And I won like that. And I'm like, I hate this. I hate this. That is so counterintuitive because it puts you on this fastest boy swoop bike. And everyone around you is driving fast. You're like, I need to drive fast. That ain't how you do it, man. That's and not the, how you beat this level. And the mission literally says you need to go warn Luke. That do, It doesn't say you need to kill them all before they can really... Like, you can. Uh, but my understanding would be uh, killing them would get you, like, bonus points, you know, or something. Yeah, challenge points, you'd think, maybe. But, no, if you don't kill them, there is no... I don't think there's any way you can actually beat them. Because the enemies have, like, a set distance from your speeder or something. Yeah, so they'll just rubber band past you at the end. Yeah, um... Out, you do leave Moss Eisley at one point, and you get to the dunes, which is still a very linear track, because you're kind of going through valleys. I had the most annoying thing here, and I don't know if you did, but did you get stuck in the <laughs> sand several times where you would just uh -uh. slow to a crawl? Uh-uh. Not that I remember. I had these moments where I would be going up, like, you know, there's the dunes that you would go over? Uh-huh. And, like, the front of my speeder would just get clipped, and I would slow down, and I'd have to wiggle the control stick to get it moving. Oh, man. I don't remember that happening. It's been a long it, time since I played this level, though. It was miserable. Like, it, we're talking, like, not a slowdown, like, almost a full stop. Yeah. Oh, and then eventually later on, you'll go through, like, really tight canyons. And yeah, Beggar's I, Canyon, where he bullseyes yeah. Womp Rats and his T-15. So here's the thing that I don't get. I don't know how it determines what walls kill you. Because some I bounced off of, you know, going on a, a pretty fast speed. And some I lightly tap and I fucking die. I don't know. And it doesn't seem like the enemies play by the same rules. They don't. And they make perfect turns. And then even if they hit the wall, it doesn't matter unless you nudge them. Yeah, I feel like I got lucky with this one. I mean, I, it was infuriating. It took me a long time to get through. But I feel like once I learned how to cheese it at the start, getting yeah. to this part of the mission... Uh, wasn't as big of a deal, and I think I also may have started using save states around this point. That probably would be smart. I never use save states. I know. You remember we, we had this discussion in Ace Combat, because mm -hmm. there's that one level where what's the flyback? It's like five minutes or something? Yeah, it's five minutes flying towards a thing, and everyone's singing and stuff. And I was talking, and I was just like, it's a real, or a real long, you know, it was a little tiring. You're like, Austin, save states. And I, and I just like audibly facepalmed that I didn't do it. Oh, God. That's not even like abusing save states. That's just like, it feels like it should be in the game. Yeah. With old jank games like this, especially with me, the way that I work and, and being a dad and... No shame. Yeah, I don't have any shame. I will abuse save states because I'm not trying to, like, flex on you and be like, yeah, I completed a naked level one run of Dark Souls. Because I, I, I don't care. I probably will do that for our review of Dark Souls. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm not. Okay. Good for you. <laughs> no, I'm going to make you do it, too. No. <laughs> Nah, bro. There, we'd never end up recording. Okay, so you get this cutscene with Luke where he tells you that there are some plans aboard an Imperial freighter that might be vital to the Rebel Alliance. Boy, I wonder what, what plans those could be. I don't know. Uh, can you think of any plans that are mentioned in Star Wars that aren't the Death Star plans, one or two? No. <laughs> <laughs> Keep in that entire silence. Put crickets in there. Every time, if it's a Star Wars media set in the original trilogy at any point and someone mentions plans, they're for the Death Star. One or two, it's one of them. Yeah. So yeah, guess where you're going next? Uh, an Imperial freighter. 
Yeah, called the Suprosa. Yeah, and this level was pretty tiring. Um, this guess is where... what? Guess what? Guess what it is? What? It's a long maze of corridors and rooms filled with enemies hiding in alcoves and around blind corners waiting to shoot you. That is almost verbatim the notes that I have. Every on foot third person shooter section of this game is exactly what it, what that is. They're all this in different flavors. This is when it hits the peak of where it was actually like tiring for me. Hoth is more excusable than most because they're mostly down like the hallway, and then there's a few, but they're in like rooms that make sense. Yeah, this one they're around every corner. Every corner has someone. You know how I mentioned that I watched a long play? Yeah, for this. This level was the one where I could tell it was starting to break that guy. <laughs> it yeah. Was like, I watched him getting slowly more and more unhinged in his gameplay. And, like, I was, at this point, sure, like, I had been pre-firing corners and doors and stuff, but literally this guy was spamming his blaster, like, 80% of the time as he ran around. That's probably just smart. Sh- yeah, like, like, if you have a turbo button on your controller, just you can turn it on on this here's, level. Here's what I've learned. The Empire's battle strategy is to find every place that obscures vision and put a stormtrooper there, or two. I mean, that that makes sense. Like, if you think about their uh, the TIE fighters and all that, like, they kind of do have that human wave attack sort. Yeah. Um, uh, accuracy through volume of fire <laughs> kind of deal. Yeah. So this level was, you know, I made it through the others. This one was starting to wear on me because it is constant. But... Thankfully, it's not the longest level. Yeah, there are a couple of puzzles in this. One of them was fairly interesting. One of them is like a jumping puzzle on these spinning platforms. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the most extreme elimination challenge, MXC. Do you remember that? Uh, I am aware of it, and I and I know conceptually what it is, but I've never watched it. Super goofy, low-budget version of Takeshi's Castle. Well, they... They, it's like a parody, but these these jumping puzzles, it's the rotating surfboard of death. And if you've if you the listener have ever seen MXC, you know what I'm talking about. Imagine if people on that show had to move their bodies with tank controls. Oh God! So I swear some of them do. <laughs> the other puzzle is is the the more interesting one, which is like it's uh, you're in this large cargo area, and there are these bays that go up vertically on either side, <clears throat> and there's um. Like a, con- a control panel. It's like two or three bays on each side. And then they're like four high. The puzzle is like finding the right combo to open and close the doors to get where you need to go. I, I found this part a little bit uh, refreshing. It-, it was an interesting thing because it wasn't a corridor. Uh, a yeah. lot of enemies, but it was a pretty okay. It kind of sucked when you opened a-, a new door and you walked out and it's like every door. There's just some guy standing up there waiting. Just yep. waiting. Uh, eventually, though, you will make it to the computer that has the plans, and yeah, they- you have another boss. Now, here's something that I wanted to talk about. So, this game feels like it should have an escalating threat with the bosses, you know? IG-88, because uh-huh. Boba Fett is just definitively a, the more prestigious bounty hunter over IG-88, right? Yeah. So, you fight, yeah. you fight an ATST, then you fight IG-88. That's probably a step up. He's, uh, you know, he's a natural. And then, well, I guess he's a robot. He's not natural Literally made, I mean, he's yeah, literally, he, that's what he's made for. And then Boba Fett, you know, he is the bounty hunter of the Star Wars universe. Yep. And then the next step up is a cargo droid. Yeah, called Loader Droid. He looks like a very gray version of Emperor Zerg from Buzz Lightyear of Star Command. Yeah, and it's like, I don't know, it's one of those things that's kind of weird to have gone from Boba Fett and the Slave 1 to a cargo droid, you know? Like a loader. It's like, I 
you know, it does, like, the little thing with the doors open and you see him and it's, like, threatening. It's like, um... Who are you? Yeah, I feel like there could be some things here that would work that aren't him. Uh-huh. But, you know, uh, like, in all honesty, they were being pushed around. Though a dark trooper or two in here. You could have you could have made it Darth Vader because of this cutscene that happens after this. This loader bot, another thing I think that makes it hard to take it seriously is his extendo punch attack. Oh, oh my god. Isn't that so goofy? It's Why like did they a, make that? Yeah, what what am I thinking of? It's like rock'em sock'em robots, like boring. Yeah. <laughs> like a boxing glove on a spring, like what is this, Bugs Bunny? Yeah, I don't know. The em- the Empire is scraping the bottom of the barrel at this point. I guess, yeah. You basically just run away from it, avoid its attacks, and shoot it. And then once you do that, you blow it, it up. It's the easiest boss by far. It is, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like the ATST. You just... Yeah. Except it doesn't have lasers. <laughs> well, I would actually say it's easier than the ATST if you don't cheese the ATST. Yeah. If you cheese the ATST, it's the easiest because it can't hurt you. That's right, that's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So you find the secret supercomputer, right? And then there's a cutscene. Emperor Palpatine has allowed the supercomputer containing the Death Star plans to fall into rebel hands at the advice of Prince Shizor. So apparently this is on purpose, and it's all part of Prince Shizor's plan to ingratiate himself to Emperor Palpatine. Um, I have another question for you. Go ahead. Where were the Bothans? Uh, dead. Because... I, I guess a lot of them I'm, died somewhere to bring the plans to Mon Mothma. I mean, this is a Death Star two, so the how? I don't know. Dash, uh, I guess they they, they, they died. They died millions and millions of years ago and became the crude oil that was used to make the rocket fuel. Dash put in his ship to fly there. I don't know. There you go. Star Wars only had fuel in Disney Canada, didn't it? No, they had fuel in the expanded universe. I just actually just finished uh, Star Wars X-Wing Rogue Squadron, and fuel was a big part of that book, too. Okay, it's just never mentioned in the mainline, like, stuff. Yeah, who wants to worry about filling up the fucking gas tank, alright? Just shoot a shoot a proton torpedo at the, at the hole of the Death Star. Let's move on with our life, okay? Exactly. So, yeah, uh, why is Palpatine listening to Shizor? Uh, because the plot demands it. Now, Garrett, would you say that from your extensive knowledge of Star Wars, you really think Palpatine's the type to, like, listen to the advice and of others even when he's not really for it? Is he the one to be talked into things like that? Definitely not. Palpatine, and right now I'm actually reading Darth Plagueis. I've actually heard good things about it. Oh, it's good. Yeah, you should. Uh, it's got a ton of, like, perspective from Palpatine. And this is before he was named Sheev. <laughs> Oh man, his name, was, his name was literally just Palpatine. Yeah, thanks, Steve Palpatine. Thanks, thanks, Disney. Anyway, somehow Palpatine was named <laughs> Sheev. <sighs> mm. You had to take a minute there. Yeah, Palpatine would use Prince Shizor as a way to punish Vader, but he would not be talked into anything by Prince Shizor. He might let Prince Shizor think that. Yeah. But that that wouldn't be what actually happened. He would totally, because he did this continuously through the expanded universe, basically point at Shizor and be like, oh, Vader, you're going to get replaced, you know? And just yeah. just to make Vader be better. Yeah, Palpatine is playing, f- like, 4D chess, 5D chess the whole yeah. time. Like, that's what, that's what he does. That's the whole, the whole Darth Sidious thing. That's his thing, is manipulating people. That's Can I actually 
say a complaint I have about it, it. It was something in the expanded universe a little bit, but it's also definitely in the Disney canon, and that annoys me so much. Is it directly goes against that? I think Palpatine is more compelling of a Sith when he's not the strongest Sith of all time. No, he gets there by guile. Yeah, and I think that's what is really cool is that he took down the entire Jedi Order through both political and or political guile and natural charisma. You know, he out manipulated them and stuff. It's uh, and then it's kind of lost whenever you know several of the novels and the Disney canon. It just straight up say, "Oh, he's the strongest Sith of all time ever." A lot of this, he literally wouldn't even have had to have used the Force. He didn't have to use the Force to manipulate people into the civil war between the confederation of independent systems and you know the republic he didn't have to do that to become the a senator or the chancellor or the supreme chancellor he did that as a frank underwood from house of cards type thing you literally you put frank underwood in palpatine's shoes and he could accomplish probably like 80 percent of this stuff yeah anything that doesn't require space magic yeah, or a lightsaber. Like, of, of course, you know, when... Frank Underwood when Mace, versus Mace Windu. Yeah, that that wouldn't have worked out necessarily, but he could have talked to Anakin in de de defending them. I just don't know if Anakin would have been good enough. No. 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 That, that pretty much concludes part three, though. Part four starts off with... A, uh, I think, a title crawl? That's right. Princess Leia, she's a diplomat, right? That's yep. That was the very one of the very first things that was established about her character in the first movie. So she was doing the diplomatic thing and went to go meet with Prince Jizor. Uh, somehow, while she was there, she learned of his plan to, to give Luke to Palpatine and supplant Vader, and Jizor captures her. So then they're pulling this damsel in distress card. So you gotta go, what the f***? is it with Princess Leia getting captured? She's the peach of sci-fi. She is. Your princess is in another space station. Yeah, so who uh, who goes to rescue her? Luke and, uh, more importantly, Dash, Dash Rendar. Rendar. Yeah. And he uh, enters the palace from the sewer system. So here's a question. At the point that this game came out, had we ever actually seen Coruscant? Like, on film? I don't think we had, because this is 96. Yeah. We saw a ton of Coruscant in the prequels, but... So, what do you think they based this level design off of? I'm not sure, but right now I'm literally looking to see if this is the first Coruscant. Yeah. Uh, it's. I don't think it's the first time we ever saw Coruscant in media, but I don't think they had anything in the movies. They call it the Imperial City, right? The Imperial City... Uh, Underworld yeah. is it's the sewers. They're in the sewers. But um Yeah, so really quick, Coruscant first or was invented by Timothy Zahn, an heir to the Empire. That's its first appearance. Wow. Yeah. How about so that? Ninety one. Uh and then it made its first on screen appearance with a scene added to the Return of the Jedi. Yeah, in the special editions where they're pulling the uh they're they're pulling over like a statue, right? Yeah. So it's very interesting. They uh, the sewer level, it's a maze, uh, and yeah. it's a little bit annoying because the some of the areas kind of have like the same tile sets or re recycled layouts, so you can get lost in there. You can, yeah. You're gonna have uh, a really hard time finding your way around this place, and it's 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 more the same, shit, dude. It's corridors filled with enemies hiding in al alcoves, but at least this time you have a jetpack from the start, which makes it, you know. 
Yeah, the level, uh, and the level design does expect that. This level is actually impossible to complete without the jetpack. Yeah, but it doesn't need a jetpack for the whole thing. Like, there are parts of it you could complete without a jetpack, and then parts where you must have the jetpack. I'm just glad they didn't take the jetpack away from you when you didn't need it. I know, because there are some moments that, you know, obviously weren't intended for a jetpack, but if you have a jetpack, so much it easier. Helps. Yeah. yeah. When you're entering this stage, there's a cutscene of the Outrider and Falcon flying through tunnels. So it's the Outrider and the Millennium Falcon flying together. And then you see Dash, Lando, Chewie, and Luke all there, and they're gonna, like, let's split up, gang. Dash tells them that he's going to plant bombs under the palace while Luke and the others, uh, Go get Leia. So, this level has the ubiquitous spinning traps, and it has one of those, like, raise and lower the water level puzzles. Those are pretty common, too. Yeah, that's something that you think about in 3D games like this. This is an extremely tired trope now, but at the time, it might have been, like, all the hotness. Also, you're, like, knee-deep in shit this whole mission. And when you're doing the water level, that's that's toilet water. So there's that. Man, that sucks for Dash. Yeah, wait, not, just think... human sh- not just human shit either. Aliens. It's aliens. Do you think the shoulder pads protect him from it? Uh, Yeah, definitely. You know, he's got that little air meter. That's probably the air that he has inside of his shield. Makes sense. Notably, there is no swimming animation in this game. That's why you have the jetpack. Yeah, you cannot swim up without it. The jetpack has to, you know, lift you up. Yeah, so being under the water, there's very little change with being above water. I mean, you move more slowly through it, but that's pretty much it. I think this is pretty clever. A pretty clever way to not have to program a swimming animation. I didn't even notice that the first time I played through it. It was only when I replayed through it. The boss of this level, as a note, is something that fans of the original trilogy might be interested in. And as far as I know, this is the first real full appearance of it, right? Um, maybe. I know it was, you're talking about like seeing the whole, its whole entire the, body. Yeah, the, I know, the entire thing. I know you could see parts of it in Dark Forces, but it was just the same kind of thing you saw in uh, A New Hope. Because this the boss battle is with a creature called a Dianoga which is the tentacle monster from the trash compactor in A New Hope. It's got, like, the little eye stalk that raises up. Yeah, it, it looks like a big uh, octopus or a squid, but it has an eye stalk on the top of its head. Now, the one, in, the one in the sewers here is actually, like, gigantic. Yeah, and it makes me wonder, was the one that was in the Death Star, was it just, you know, an infant? So I looked this up. I looked this up. I, I read the, Wikipedia, the Wikipedia article, excuse me. And the one in the Death Star is normal size. Oh. This one is just huge. Okay. Did you know that the Dianoga are actually sentient? They're sentient trash squids? And they can be Force-sensitive. No. Yeah, that's canonical. That's not from Legends. That's Disney canon from Wikipedia. I mean, look it up. So wait, they're a sentient species that can wield the Force and make their living in sewer systems eating trash. I guess, dude. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's, like, really rare that one of them is sentient. Who knows, dude? No. Designation. They're all sentient. Dianoga <laughs> were sentient cephalopods. Oh. That's why I don't... Anyway, uh, this is actually a fairly interesting boss battle. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I'm stuck on the fact that... God, imagine if it pulled out eight lightsabers. Oh, dude. <laughs> yeah. God. This one's not Force-sensitive. 
No, he's not. This one's just a like a creature, as as you would expect from the way it looks. Yeah, because I I just looked it up. So this is a Legends Dianoga, which were not sentient. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. He does have tentacles, though. He does. So one thing I just wanted to mention really quick that I didn't know. Do you? We were talking about the multimedia release. Uh huh. It got a fucking tabletop RPG. What did? Shadows of the Empire. It had a tabletop RPG. It did. Like a supplement, like like a, like a supplement for the night or for like the Star Wars role playing game. Yeah. Eight. Oh, that's dope. Let's, I want to look at the PDF. Let's look that up. Yeah, we'll have to. Well, uh, that'll be our fun thing where we invite people and I GM a session of that. Yeah, let's do it. You can play let's as Dash it. Rendar. Oh God, no! We're, everyone's got to fight over to be Dash Rendar. Yeah, he's got to be an NPC because everyone's going to be Dash Rendar. I gotta have those so- shoulder pads though. Yeah. The Dianoga has these tentacles with like spiky balls on the end of them, and they, it like swings them at you like fists or like wrecking balls. And you can shoot them, they, but they have small health pools, and they're not, like, actually the boss, right? Which actually fits and makes sense, because, you know, a lot of these games, you'll have, like, an enemy there that's huge, and you'll shoot him a hundred times in the foot, and he'll die. It's like, why? You know, like, but then, you know, this, you're taking out, like, non-essential organs, and then he is only, like, gets killed when you take out something essential. But it does make the fight a lot easier to take those out. Right, because once you destroy the tentacle, it he can't swing it at you. Yep. Obviously. So, yeah, you shoot the eye stalk, the, the Dianoga eye. That's the main target, and defeating that is how you defeat the boss. How do, what did you use on What weapon? Uh, I was using mostly the normal blaster and the seeker. I actually shot it with a disruptor, because <laughs> I found one in the level. Ah, and does it work with? Oh, yeah, it worked great. I think it one-shot it, or almost one-shot it. Nice. Which is what it's supposed to do, right? Yeah. It disrupts. So defeating the Dianoga drains the water and unlocks a pathway out of the sewers. And this is where you actually get into the palace. Yeah, Prince Shizor's palace. I think the design language that they took this from was the uh, throne room from Return of the Jedi. This level was a combination of basically all the annoying enemies behind corridors. It also seems like they added extra fog and, like, further shorten the draw distance in here. It's extremely, like, extra dark and gloomy. So I'm I, I'm wondering if that's an intentional thing. Like, think about that in lore. Does Gizor just, like, have fog machines in his walls? I mean, if I looked like that, if I had big shoulder pads and that, like, top-knot braid thing, I for sure would put fog machines in my house. Yeah, if you were, you know, bootleg King Piccolo. <sighs> A notable change in this is instead of stormtroopers or snowtroopers, you get red imperial guards. I mean, the behavior is the same, but the model is different. Yeah, that was a cool touch. Which sort of mimics the royal guards from Return of the Jedi that you see, but they're not exactly the same. Yeah, the royal guards who have absolutely, like, no on-screen presence, really, but they look really cool, and I loved the figures I had of them. Yeah, me too. They sort of stand there. Have you... Have you noticed Star Wars is real big on that? Just having a background design that you're like, this is so sick, and they don't do anything. It's just to sell the toy of it, dude. Yep, and they do it They do it well. So there's one thing that I thought was extra annoying. I mean, we're, of the enemies that were in here, yeah, there's the, the super annoying battle droids with shotgun lasers that one-shot you. That's bad. Mm-hmm. And, and there are the tiny round probe droids that they're the um, the interrogation droid from A New Hope, but they have a blaster. They're really hard to see. 
it's kind of you have to follow their blaster trace. But the thing that got me was all of those turrets in the walls. Yeah, those things hurt. They do. And they also can, like, disappear into the wall. Like, fold up inside the wall. In all honesty, they're incredibly annoying, but also it kind of makes sense as, like, you know, rich crime syndicate's private home security system. There are a couple, there's, like, one puzzle, maybe two, depending on how you look at it. Mostly it's these bridges. You have to find a switch to drop a bridge to progress through the level. So if you want to look at that as a puzzle, fine. If not, fine. Yeah, I personally wouldn't really call it a puzzle. It's like the Doom thing, finding a key to open the door to progress. You gotta find the red key to open the red door. Mm, Which, actually, you did have to do that in the Imperial Sewers. That was one of the only ones that had that mechanic, right? Yeah, I expected it to be more prevalent, because a lot of the shooters were doing that, you know? Yeah, and especially considering how much the level design reminded me of Doom, I expected a lot more Doom-esque stuff. Doomisms. It's a good way of putting it, doomisms. So you get to this vertical shaft at the end of the level, and this is where you're supposed to set the bombs. Yep. I got a couple things to say about this, but first I want to hear what you have to say about this area. Uh, not terribly much. It's a, it's, it's annoying. Dude, I had to restart so many times here. So you have to use a jetpack. Yep. It's a vertical shaft with three levels, and there are these things that you're obviously supposed to interact with because... Everything around here is like blue, dark gray, and then there's like a brown spot in this shaft that you have to interact with. And what you're doing is putting a bomb there. But in order to do that, there's one on each level that there's like a hole in the middle of the floor that you can ascend or descend with your jetpack, right? Yep. And at each level, there are enemies. And I kid you not, I would jetpack up try to be evasive, and two stormtroopers would shoot me at once and I would die. Happened over and over. Over and over. Ugh. I, so I had to is, load the safe This state. is your speeder bike level. Yeah, I don't know what I was doing. It probably took me like 15 or 20 minutes just on this one section. See, I didn't really have as or quite that problem. I just had a thing where I kept uh, losing track of which one I got, and I had to look a little bit extra hard for the other one. Yeah. I mean, once I, yeah, yeah, once I killed them, then it wasn't that bad, but it was like killing one and then trying to find the other one, yeah. Before he killed one, you. The other one, mm-hmm, he'd shoot you in the back, yeah, it was bad. But the thing is, they would both, like, focus fire me. They uh, timed their shots, just instantly take you down. Yeah. Was that the last part of the level before it? Yes, it was. Okay, so earlier we had the discussion about what the worst level was, and Zizor's Palace is not the worst level, I don't think. But it might be brought into question because of the boss. Yeah, what do you think the final boss of a Star Wars game is going to be? Uh, if I'm going in as a fan who has just seen the movies? Yeah. It, a Sith of some kind. Yeah, Darth Vader, someone with a lightsaber, something like that. Which I know they can't do in this because, you know, he has to be beat by someone else, whatever. But I don't think this would be my second choice. No, my second choice would have been, like, one of Vader's, like, Sith Assassin people. You know, somebody who is significant and not, like, a private security war droid? Hell, you could have saved Boba Fett for this! Yeah, Boba Fett would have been cool for a final thing. Uh, Shizor hiring him to defend it, you know? Yeah, it could have been Prince Shizor himself. You know? That's yeah. the dude you've been trying to track down. I kind of thought it would be him. But 
it's uh it's just a just a droid. Yeah, a giant bipedal battle droid. Did you notice that its walking sound effect was the ATAT walking? Yeah, that's such an iconic sound it's hard to miss. Uh-huh. So this one has multiple phases. I think this is the most phases of any of the bosses, right? It's 3. Yeah, three phases. I mean, I, technically, I guess it should have the most phases if it's the final boss of the game. Yeah, and uh, it's it's not easy. Well, you think it might be. Yeah, because the first based phase. Based on the first phase, which he just has... It, it, uh, he's walking around on two legs, and he just has the ATST AI. And it's just like, oh, we're ending on this? Yeah, stand behind him, shoot him, follow him around in a circle, shoot him in the back. And then he blows up, and I'm like, oh, that was anticlimactic. I wish that was how he died. So can... his legs blow off. And now he's kind of a hovering thing. Yeah, his torso and head are hovering. And at this point, he gains a bunch of extra attacks. I don't know where they were in the previous one. But basically, he has all of the same weapons as you. Plus, he has this death laser. And that thing, like, Garrett is being completely, like, accurate with it. It's a death laser. It It is going to annihilate you. It's not a blaster. It's like a like a laser beam, a constant laser beam that he sweeps across. Now, here's the thing that I did not notice until I went back and watched the long play beat this guy just to see how they did it. Tell me, when he was hitting you with that laser, what were you doing when you got shot? Uh, jetpacking, I think, normally. Yeah, me too. I think that laser procs damage based on when it contacts you. I think if you are moving while the laser is touching you, it procs damage every, like... Frame. Every frame, yeah. Whereas if you stand still and it sweeps that laser across you, it only damages you every sweep. Oh, God. That would have been nice to know. So you know how you beat this boss? You know how you're supposed to beat him? How? You're supposed to stand there and face tank him and shoot him with Seekers. Did you do that? I did not do that, Garrett. I did not do that either. How did you do it? Uh, I bashed my head against a wall trying to duck behind cover and jetpack and play smart and get ammo and shoot him in a hit and run thing. How long did that take you? How many attempts do you think? I mean, probably somewhere in like the high teens or 20s. <sighs> The thing is, his reaction times are, like, instantaneous. Yeah. Like, if, if he has line of sight to you, he's going to hit you with the laser. It's it's an infuriating boss. It's the worst boss in the game. And it doesn't even have a, the re- recognizable thing of, like, Boba Fett. It's just Black Sun Gladiator Droid. Yeah, if it was Boba Fett, like, Boba Fett's a badass, and if he's kicking my ass, I'm like, yeah, okay, Boba Fett's a badass, yeah, it should be hard. It's like, what is this fucking random-ass contrived bullshit that they're throwing up against me? So here's how I beat him, okay? Okay. I shot him with the disruptor, and got his health down to about 30%, and then he killed me. And then it respawned me on that platform, and I stood there, and, like, he was far away, and I spammed Seekers at him as he approached to get within range of hitting me with the laser. And so I was down to like 20% by the time all the... 20% help by the time all the Seekers hit him and he died. Or I loaded a safe state over and over to try and get that to work. And then it finally did. Yeah. Not knowing that literally you're supposed to face tank the laser and then run down and get health. Yep. And then so after you blow up his, you know, floating torso, now he's just a head. 
And this is even worse because yep. before he couldn't like it, when phase two starts, the arena that you're in opens into this maze, like Austin mentioned. Uh, and he's too big to fit down inside the maze, so he's hovering above it. So it's kind of easy to avoid him. Well, now this floating head, he loses all of his other attacks, but he has his death laser that he can shoot constantly, and he will follow you through the maze. And he's relentless in this now. Yeah, so how did you beat the third phase? Disruptor? Yeah. How, did you shoot him twice with a disruptor? Yes. Okay, I only had one disruptor left. I Yeah, because I did not use the uh, one on the second. Which so I, I hit him with... Go I'll ahead. go ahead and say really quick. I was going to try to do like, oh, I'm not going to use the disruptor. And then I tried enough, I'm like, I'm going to use the disruptor. Yeah. Um, but it, I'm glad I saved it for the final stage. Because I tried it without it a few times, and uh, no. Uh-uh. I hit him with a disruptor, and then he came close to me, and I finished him with the pulse rifle. Face tank the laser. And face tanking the laser is seemingly the way to go. Yep, I figured it out right there. And I was like, well, I thought I just got lucky. But no, that's actually what you're supposed to do. I hate this boss. Yeah, this is cursed. I never, literally never want to play this again. Because of this boss. Yeah, no, I... Not because of the corridors, but also because of this boss. There's a few levels in this that I could see myself being, like, having the itch to try again. And, like, some fond memories of, like, the train level. But yeah. I would never do another full playthrough because of this boss in the corridors. Yeah. Mission 10. This is the final mission. It's called Skyhook Battle. And we are... That, that was the, the previous one with the gladiator droid is the final mission on foot. The final, uh -huh. final mission, it has to conclude like a lot of them do with some type of space battle. Okay, this is an ace combat mission. Yeah. Basically, like, uh, yeah. Which, granted, ace combat missions are just Star Wars... Like the the trench run and then the Death Star two fly through, but it's that it's that same thing. Um, so you you start off kind of similar to the asteroid mission with the Lebo piloting and you're shooting the turrets, right? Yeah, and you're fighting uh, Shizor's Star Vipers. Uh, there has been no mention of Shizor having custom ships like this up until now. Like, where do these come from? I don't know. And have you seen what their model looks like and not N sixty four? No. I'm sending it. Me. Let's, let's look at it, yeah. Hold on, hold on. This looks like something from Warframe or something. So, reading about them, they were apparently used extensively during the era of the Galactic Empire. Huh. Where? They kind of look like the Starforge fighter. Yeah. But with the wings rotated 90 degrees. That's weird. Yeah, no, that is weird. Side note, by the way, they made Shizor cannon. Oh no, why? I don't know. He's mentioned uh, off in an offhand comment. Like, they do. They do that a lot. I think they're just pandering. Who wanted um, him? Not me. Not me? Alright. The Star Vipers. They, they're basically like TIE Bombers, right? But they're really fast. And they uh, they can hurt you a lot more than the TIEs can. They shoot bombs at you, but do they also fly by you and shoot you with lasers, like the TIE Fighters? Yes. Yeah, so it's kind of like both in one. It is literally impossible to shoot them all before they can damage you. Yep. But there are so many of these star vipers yeah i don't actually know how many there are and it doesn't give you the opportunity to fully counterplay them the only counterplay you have is if they're doing the charge up bomb attack yeah i think where in the previous asteroid mission it was a limited number of ships like 60 of them or whatever that you had to blow up and this i think they are unlimited it's a time thing i think 
Yeah, yeah, it's you just have to defend your ship while Lebo flies you to the skyhook. So here's the thing. If you kill 20 of these Star Vipers, you get an extra life. Yep. So basically, you just have to kill 20 of them faster than they can kill one of you. (laughs) Which, once you realize that's what you're doing, you know, it becomes a lot more manageable. Yeah, I got this on my first try, did you? Yep. So, um, not, not as hard as it would have been if they, like, restarted you when you blew up. Yeah, but with that and the extra life, you know, it's... Yeah, it's it's impossible to avoid damage from them, as far as I can tell. Yeah, I don't think it's possible to do a damageless run of this game because of that, and as well as the corridors. Uh, eventually, though, once you get past this, you do end up uh, taking control of the ship. Now, the Skyhook is the not-Death Star that you're going to blow up. It's It kind of looks like something from James Bond or, or something. It didn't really look Star Wars-y to me. That's what I was thinking, too, is that it's it feels more grounded than a lot of the uh, things, because, you know, it has actual cable beams connecting it to some things. It feels uh-huh. more like an actual uh, space station, as opposed to some yeah. of the more hard sci-fi. It has more in common with the ISS than it does with the Death Star. Yeah, so this is actually a big three-way battle, because at this point... The Imperials are showing up to fight you and Shizor. Shizor's personal forces are fighting, and then you have other people working alongside you as well. Which I will mention really quick, uh, at the start of the spoiler section, I mentioned how there's dramatic differences between this and the novel. This Mm -hmm. is one of them, because this makes it seem like Dash did all this, like all the important stuff, functionally alone. Right. So what happened in the novel? Him and the Millennium Falcon are basically equally instrumental. Okay, interesting. So... The Imperials are here because Vader found out what Shizor's plan was and came to kick ass and take names. Good. Get rid of him. Um, yeah. Uh, the TIE Fighters were not much of a problem, and neither were the Star Vipers at this point. So that's kind of more like a backdrop of, like, crazy stuff going on around you that you can interact with. But otherwise, this plays like a full-on flight sim, kind of like Rogue Squadron. Yeah, so... The way to describe the skyhook, it's got like a kind of central pillar that, you know, is where I imagine most of the people live in it. And then it has these four arms on each of the cardinal directions that are, I don't know how they work, but, you know, they got a turret on each end and they lead to like the reactor core in the middle because everyone in Star Wars designs their ships to be blown up by flying inside them. Go figure. Yeah, the goal in this section is to go to each of those outstretched arms of the station and destroy their turrets. Now, something you'll remember if you played any of the Rogue Squadron games, or you've seen, you know, the Death Star Trench runs, those turrets are the same model that was like... Yeah, on- it's a turbo laser tower. And the Death Star has so many of these. The Skyhook has four. Yeah, and somehow there's like this little blue, like, power arc, I guess. It's like a little blue arc of electricity going from... It's like under the arm going to the turbo laser. When you blow up the turbo laser... It turns that off, and it actually, like, opens up that arm for you to fly inside of. Yeah, so your goal here is just to fly to each of the cardinal directions on the uh, skyhook, blow up the turrets, which will open it up so you can fly inside, and then you fly in and blow up the reactor core, which I wonder what that's based on. You shoot four missiles at the core to blow it up? Is that right? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure the intended thing is that you fly through each of the tunnels and get one missile shot out. Yeah, you're able to do more, though. I think I I was able to do it in three, maybe two passes. Uh, 
I think, yeah, about the about the same. And, Pretty sure it was three for me. And boy, oh boy, when that thing blew up, it lagged the hell out of my emulation. Oh, it did? Yeah. That's great. So it actually, as you're flying out, you get to the end of the arm, but you don't quite make it out, and the level just like ends all of a sudden. Yeah, it, and you're like, oh, what happened? And then it cuts to uh, Leia and Luke. They're mourning the loss of Dash Rendar. They're like, oh, at least he sacrificed his life for something great. Yeah, and they're like, you know, she, she's upset, or Luke is upset, and she's like, you know, he didn't die in vain, and all this stuff. And you're like, oh, did they kill him? And then uh, if you beat the game on a high a high enough difficulty, which is just medium, or, or I think medium is the lowest bar, uh, it zooms uh-huh. over to show hyperspace and Dash just looking really smug. <laughs> this is the only time you saw that little image of him, yeah. And Lebo was like... Great job, Master. That's our most diabolical look yet. Yeah, and then he's like, "Why? Why are we letting our friends think we're dead?" And he's like, "Isn't it?" Or like, he talks about how Shizor has like notified all the thugs in the galaxy, and they'd be out for uh, Dash's blood. So he's just like, "But if they think I'm dead, you know." Well, Lebo, I faked my own death to appear again at an opportune time in another piece of expanded universe media. And he has a quote. Which is, it's good to be remembered as a martyr without actually having to be dead, wouldn't you say? <laughs> yeah, that's Which, pretty funny. That is actually, a, that's a hilarious quote. And that's how the game ends. But if you're a kid and playing on the easy, Dash is dead. Yeah. Yeah, and then once you once you hit the credits, it says, Great job on beating the game. Now try it again on hard. And I said, no, and I closed it. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, thank you. No thanks. And uh, with that... That's that's the game. That's it. It's over. Thank God. Yeah. So I, we're on to conclusions now, but I I think you could probably make some inferences about how we feel and such. So let's go ahead and just start though with how it relates to other games of its genre. I think games like Gears of War and Mass Effect probably trace at least some of their roots to this game, but not a lot. Not a lot. The only, What was the other, like, were there other popular action-adventure shooters at the time? The only one that comes to mind is Tomb Raider, which came out, I think, the same year. Yeah, Tomb Raider is much more fondly remembered than this one. For good reason. Yeah. I didn't play that one. I've never played that before. Yeah, it. I think it also has tank controls, but they're probably better. I know people praised the environmental design and said that even with the, like, potato graphics of the PS1 that the manner that she lived in was, like, somewhat believable. Like, you could walk into a room and identify what was supposed to be done there. Yep. So, I think that's, like, do we have anything really to say to how it relates to others of its genre? Because it's, this game is not something like, uh, you know, Ace Combat, which is the king of its genre. This is just a, it's just a Star Wars game. Kinda. Like a primordial version of the third-person shooter. Yeah, and it's it, it exists. It tries to do a bunch of different genres in there and does not succeed often. I think other games of its genre, honestly, the, if this was the inspiration for Rogue Squadron, that's probably the best thing that can be said about it. Yeah, so... This game, this was one of LucasArts, you know, earlier ones, um, I think. Actually, they may have been around in the 80s for those DOS games. But this is one of the first 3D ones. 
And what they learned in the flying flying segments on this, which were probably the best segments, they took over to Rogue Squadron, which is a much more fondly remembered game. Yeah, so the X-Wing games are much more focused on the sim part of it. Like, you have power system management, you have to manage shields, you have forward shields and aft shields. You could take energy from your lasers and put it into your shields, and then if you turn off your lasers and your shields, then all that power gets diverted to your engine, so you go really fast. Like, you know, it's very sim-like. It's focused on actually controlling the X-Wing itself. Making you feel like you're in it. Yeah, making you feel like an X-Wing pilot. Whereas Rogue Squadron is an arcade game which is more about capturing the spectacle of the ship flying around and blowing stuff up. And they both have their place. They do. Yeah. That's not to be that's not to sound reductive or critical of Rogue Squadron at all. Rogue Squadron's great. We actually yep. kind of gave a bit of praise to it in the Ace Combat episode when we used it as a benchmark because we talked about how Ace Combat was kind of in the middle of the arcade shooter and the sim shooter. It is, yeah. It's the probably the best entry for the genre for people. So, how was the story of Star Wars Shadows of the Empire? Star Wars Shadows of the Empire story feels like a bunch of Star Wars fans got together and tried to write their own story for their D&D campaign, like a Star Wars D&D campaign, and this was like the original characters who they came up with. You have Prince Shizor, who is like... You know, supposed to be some weirdly powerful crime boss. And one dude who's playing Han Solo, but better. So here's the thing about the Expanded Universe. And this is a a line that I had somewhat reserved for the bonus level episode about Star Wars. But I'm going to let you have it now, okay? Alright. If you think about it, Star Wars Expanded Universe contracts writers who are not George Lucas, not Lawrence Kasdan, not people who worked on the movies... To write pieces of media, comic books, novels, and games. Everyone is a Star Wars fan. Pretty much everyone who wrote a piece of this literature is a Star Wars fan. This is officially LucasArts sanctioned fan fiction. Literally. Yeah. And it reads like that sometimes. Not everyone can be Timothy Zahn. We wish. We wish. But Timothy Zahn, I don't don't think he worked on this. No, definitely not. And it shows. Um, I think, I think this was actually hampered by being a multimedia project. Yep. Like I mentioned, I mentioned that before. Because it struggled as a self-contained story. Yeah, so Shadows of the Empire gives you a story split into three pieces across comics, a novel, and a game. And I kind of get the feeling that you must experience all three to get the whole story. I haven't done that yet, so I can't say for sure if it's like that. But that's kind of how it feels from playing the game. I did some research on this, actually, because I was curious. The game is irrelevant. Really? The All the events of the game are expanded upon in greater detail in the novel and shows, like, I saw someone describe it as, after playing them both, Shadows of the Empire of the Video Game feels like Dash Rendar's over-exaggerating rendition of what he did in the actual novel. Oh, it's like, it's like, um, unreliable narrator, this is what Dash said happened? Yeah, that's funny. I like that take. Yeah, so, like, obviously that's not the intention, it's just people had a mix-up of how things should be, they wanted the protagonist of their video games that should be playing as him to feel better, but in the novels, they don't want this random side character outshining, like, Han. Yeah. Our Luke and stuff. So, you know, apparently you can get the full story with the novel and then the comic. 
So compare that to the experience you get from the original trilogy, which gives you three self-contained stories that connect into one another. When you have something like that, the comics, novels, and games that surround that, their stories can sort of feel contrived, right? Like I had mentioned before, like, oh, you know that guy who you saw for two seconds standing in the background in The Empire Strikes Back? Well, actually, he's a very majorly important guy who's best friends with Luke Skywalker, but all this stuff happened just off screen, so you wouldn't know about it unless, unless you buy these five novels and the series of comic books and the action figure. Yeah, so see, that's, I think, why I lean towards preferring Star Wars uh, expanded media, like the novels and the video games, in time periods not connected to the six movies. Exactly. They don't feel the need to name drop Luke Skywalker. He wasn't born yet. They don't feel the need to, you know, put you on the same planets... At the Always. same time. <laughs> yeah, sometimes, yeah. You're, you're not having people being just out of sight, right? Like, sure, you play Nice the Old Republic, you go to Tatooine. Everybody goes to Tatooine. Tatooine is some kind of, like, force nexus, right? Yeah, I'm actually going to complain about that real quick. It it pisses me off that every, like, expanded universe game, like, even the ones, like, thousands of years ago, you go to Tatooine. Because the point is that Tatooine is a nothing planet. Yeah, a nowhere backwater place. Yeah, it, It's even more dumb in... In the Old Republic MMO, when you go to Hoth. Really? Yeah, you go to Hoth. That's the whole reason they went there is because it was nobody goes there. Anyway, this is, we're, get, we're getting we're getting that, this that's, stuff for... That's for the episode, the other episode. That's for that episode. Later. Yeah, you get, you, get, you get a little taste. Yeah. We'll give, we'll give you a little taste and then you the come back. The story is inherently derivative in, like, kind of a negative way that this is not... Like, if you're interested in these characters, this plot, the Black Sun plot, which there can... I think that a criminal syndicate plot could work pretty well for the Star Wars setting. And, you know, there are people who could do it better. But this story, the best way to experience it is the novel. Yeah. So, I actually, you know, normally I would give you a, a, a metaphor or a simile about this game as a whole. Yeah. I actually, I have two similes for you, and one of them is about just the story. All right, let's okay. hear it. Star Wars Shadows of the Empire... The video game story, it's like a fake piece of Swiss cheese, full of holes and extremely disappointing to bite into. I like that one. And then what's the other? Uh, we'll get there. Okay. We'll get there. All right. So, who is, it, who is this game for? Uh, Star Wars fans interested in a story unconnected yet fully reliant on the original trilogy. Okay. Uh, I have two answers. People living in 1996 who would have been so dazzled by the 3D gameplay that they could have overlooked the flaws. Me. Which happened. Yeah, happened a lot. Uh, and people who have a Nintendo 64 but only have a couple of games, because this is like five different games in one. Yeah. You, you cut it on, you're like, I want to play a flight sim. I'll oh, just throw on Shadows of the Sky Empire. level, yeah. yeah. Nobody wants to play the swoop level. Hope not. <laughs> There's someone out there who's going to listen, and that's his favorite level in any video game ever. Yeah, tell us about it in the Discord. What was the significance in the time period that this was released? So Phantom Menace was still three years away at this point. And yep. the Nintendo 64 had only released uh, around three months before this game. Yep. This or The year that this released in was full of heavy hitters that I'm surprised people even remember this game at all in any way. So we had Super Mario 64, uh-huh. Mario Kart 64, Crash Bandicoot, Diablo, Resident <sighs> Evil, and Tomb Raider. All in this year. So, I mean, it, it is it is Star Wars. I guess yep. it's got that going for it. So yeah, it's that's probably the only reason it's really fondly remembered because out if it is yeah. fondly remembered is because outside of like two levels, it eh. 
my reading about what people thought about it at the time is people were so blown away by the Hoth level that it was like such a true one-to-one recreation of what they saw in the theater. And that's what people remembered. And that's also the first level of the game. So if you play this game, if you bought this game and played it, you played that level, period. You did not necessarily fight the gladiator. (laughs) No. In fact, I would wager that it, uh, unless easy drops the difficulty drastically, most kids probably didn't make it to the gladiator. Yeah. Probably, like, I, I wonder what the percentages of people who have played this game who have actually gotten to that. Yeah. So people who remember it fondly, that seems to be what they remember it for. All right. I think that leaves us uh, with our rating, right? Yeah, I got my simile about the game. And this is not just about the game, but this is about my whole experience coming back to the Star Wars fandom, which I've taken a major, major break from, begrudgingly. So if you want to hear more about this, I mean, it, it, Star Wars is incredibly important to me. Um, you'll... It's also the foundation for Garrett and my friendship, and yeah. it's like to the point that uh, like my first Christmas gift to you was a custom lightsaber. Yep, I have it right here next to me. Um, my brother is 3D printing a stand for me, so I, I built a lightsaber at Disney World, and I'm putting the one that you gave me, the Disney lightsaber, and then my um, Knights of the Old Republic lightsaber on display here on my computer desk. Hell yeah! So yeah, um, pictures in the Discord. Yeah, when I, when when I get that uh, stand, I'll I'll post them. So, um, I, I I don't want to get too much into it right now because there's a lot to say, and I want you to to like get all of it in one go. So check out the the uh, bonus level episode when that comes out. But my experience of returning to Star Wars, it's it's like missing your ex and reminiscing about old times. Wondering what happened and why you ever even broke up in the first place. So you read some old text chats and just say to yourself, oh yeah, that's why. Yeah, that's, that one, you've had funnier similes, but that one is probably one of the most accurate. Looking at things through rose-tinted glasses. Very much so, yeah. The nostalgia is strong, and I wish that I could just turn off that part of my brain that sees the cynical corporatism behind what it is now, and the amateurism, I guess, that suffused a lot of this old expanded universe, yeah. and then some of you know, some of the new stuff too, um, and just enjoy it for what it is, but I have such a hard time doing that, and it, 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 yeah, it, the experience is not, not a net positive for me. Definitely not. What's your rating out of five? I give this game two wampas in prison out of five. I gave this game two stormtroopers hiding in alcoves out of five. Is this the first time we had the exact same rating? Probably. <laughs> yeah. I think it is, yeah. Yeah, because we're always off because I always were like, I give it .75 or something. Yeah. Like- <laughs> yeah, this is the first time you've done like a whole number. Yeah. Um. Do you recommend it? No. 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 Not at all. That's what it says. N-O period. No. We've had a few games we have not recommended on this podcast. To give spoilers for previous episodes, we did not recommend Far Cry, and we did not recommend Sonic, if I remember correctly, If unless you have fond memories of the series and you want to experience it. And there were some parts of that game that were kind of really hard. This one might be along the Far Cry amount. Like, do I recommend it? I would recommend playing the Hoth level, it's pretty fun. Yeah, there, maybe the first level, but even that, you're... You're you gonna get will, better in Rogue Squadron. 
Yeah, you would. You'll play that, and you'll be like, "Damn, they're really stretching this out with the four stages. Like, I got to do that again and again and again." Like, it's, yeah, it 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 wears out its welcome quickly for me. But it that would be if any of the levels in this game are worth playing, that's the one. Yeah, that and the train level for me. But you got to go through some bullshit to get to the train level. Honestly, best Hoth experience for me: Battlefront Two from two thousand five. Yeah, Battlefront Two is just magical. All right. I think that about covers it, right? I think so, man. Uh, uh, we're going to talk about what game we're doing next episode, right? Yeah, but first I just want to say it's good to get back to recording. It's been a long time coming. I'm hoping we can be more regular, but even if we can't, I'm hoping that the bonus uh, episodes will you know, allow us to kind of hang out and talk about this more often. You know, just various nerd interests. Yeah, and on the note of being more regular, we are introducing our first sponsor, Metamucil Fiber Supplements. I'm kidding. <laughs> you fucking threw I was like, what? <laughs> Could you imagine? No one will ever give us money for this. Anyway. No. Yeah, no, for real. I want to I wanna be more regular with uh, getting these episodes out. And like you said, even if we can't sit down and make, make a... I have uh, 19 pages of notes. For this game, for uh, the le- the the long play of this game was less than three hours, and I have nineteen pages of notes. Granted, a lot of it is going to be used in the uh, bonus level episode, but still, yeah, the bonus level episode is probably going to go long. We're probably going to have a part one and part two. Yeah, very possible, very likely. So, uh, Garrett, this was my choice. So, since we alternate, what are we playing next time? I've chosen Nightmare Reaper. And, Which has uh, a, a very uh, try-hard metal Slayer name, right? Yeah, no, that's like, you know, that sounds like uh, an early Xbox 360 gamer tag. Yeah, <laughs> XX Nightmare X Reaper XX. Yeah, I, I probably uh, fought this guy on Halo or Call of Duty back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know anything about Nightmare Reaper? I am going in almost completely blind. The only thing I know about it is it's a boomer shooter. Okay, yeah, it's a boomer shooter, uh, very inspired by Doom, at least in the visuals department. I'm not going to spoil much more about it. Uh, I think I find the storytelling so interesting, and um, I've beaten it already one time, uh, but it's been about two years since I played it. Uh, People call it a roguelike, but it's not. It does have some roguelike elements and some like randomization stuff to it. But you'll see when you get to it. That's that's all I'm going to tell yeah. you. My ext- my knowledge of it is literally just boomer shooter and has a lot of weapons. It yeah, it does. Yeah, the guns are the are the real juice. You'll see when we get there. Uh, very very excited to talk to you about that system. So yeah, I I'm excited to learn. This is one of the this is actually the first game on the podcast that I had no knowledge of before. Uh, oh, cool. Because, see, Ace Combat is one that I had never played any of the series, but I was very aware of it because, as I mentioned, uh, you know, you had talked to me a little bit about it, and then one of my good buddies, Cameron, it's like his his favorite series. He's, you know, in the Discord. Uh, so it was something that I was pretty well aware of. But this is, like, you sent me that, and I'm like, I don't know what this is. I, I When I heard Nightmare Reaper, I thought it was going to be, like, an edgy RPG or something. Yeah, it's an indie game made by a um, French-Canadian, and I'm in their Discord server, and uh, I messaged him a couple times, and he's, you know, very responsive. Um, it's it cool, you know, it's not that big of a game. 
Well, I am. Uh, if you know, if I can get even a couple more sets of eyes on it uh, with this or ears, I guess with this uh, podcast, I'd be really, ex- really excited. So yeah, yeah looking forward to the next episode a lot. That can be really big for an indie dev. Yeah, man. I uh, I'm super excited because uh, it's been a while since I played a first person shooter uh, outside of my endless Destiny grind. Whenever I cut that on. All right. Well, I reckon that about does it. Yeah. Uh. So Star Wars: Shadows of the Empire. Our first Star Wars game on the podcast, but definitely not our last. And in all honesty, uh, out of the games that we're interested in covering, it's all uphill from here for Star Wars. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. It's all uphill from here. Yeah. I think what would well, be fun is since we're already, you know, we'll have this like kind of at the end. Uh, maybe we can put a poll up in the Discord and let people vote on what the next Star Wars game we cover is. Because I think there's a couple that you and I are between. Yeah, I think so too. We'll get that poll posted at the same time that this episode airs live. So go over to the Discord. It'll be linked in the show notes or the description and let us know which one you think we should play next. All right. But until then, uh, it's been great. Yeah. I'm so glad to get back to this, man. All right. We'll see you all next time. See you next time.